Yowza, 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 indeed. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Matt Kennedy, one half of the Five Films From podcast here. Wanted to take a second today before Todd and I get started on the episode to say thanks for listening. And to ask that if you've been enjoying the show, make sure you like, subscribe, and maybe even leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Doing that's going to really help us to connect with more movie-loving listeners just like you. Also, we wanted to give y'all an update on some of the stuff we're working away on for Season 2. Got a lot of good episodes lined up real soon. For example, uh, Todd's currently editing our two-part season premiere on five films from... It's actually going to be ten films from the two-part, or we're going to be doing Brian De Palma. We'll also be gonna getting into some more idiosyncratic stuff with guys like Stuart Rosenberg and Larry Cohen, as well as you know real Hollywood legends like Robert Altman and fan favorites like John Landis and Tony Scott. Again, be sure to subscribe so you can be among the first to hear all of our newest five films from content as soon as it drops. Totally. Lastly, if you're still listening, <laughs> be sure to be on the lookout for our upcoming Patreon feed. We'll be offering all kinds of bonus episodes, things like double features, commentary tracks, etc. 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 And special things like five films from directors who have only made one film and five films from the 70s disaster movie genre. Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of things lined up, good things on the horizon for FFF. And yeah, that's all I got for you. Enjoy the show. With Mac Kennedy and Todd Edmondson. How's it going, everybody? This is Matt Kennedy. I'm here co-hosting the Five Films Problem Podcast along with my co-host. Todd Edmondson. Uh, today we're going to be here talking about director Ted Kotcher for our second episode. Uh, and yeah, let's get going. The five films we're going to do are going to be Wake and Fright, uh, Fun with Dick and Jane, North Dallas 40, Split Image, and then Switching Channels last. Those are going to be the five we're focused on. So, yeah, right away, let's get going into 1971's Australian classic, Wake and Fright. so too uh it tells the story of a young guy a teacher from uh from he's living in the outback his name's john grant he's basically trying to serve out a contract uh how, how did he explain it oh i'm a bonded slave of the education department yeah. he had no he <laughs> yeah. had no fond words for who he worked yeah. for yeah the last day of school he's just sitting there and all the kids are just waiting for him to tell him they can go home it's and a great he, couple uh, of shots isn't yeah, it that yeah. opening and uh, the whole opening is just it's vast nothingness there's a, a house i don't know if it's the schoolhouse there's a store and there's this large bleacherish kind of thing where you get on and off the train and, and that's so, it is also connected to a bar and hotel which yeah. is where john is staying in this little town right he, and he's not a guy from this town it's he's 
it's, it's not said exactly where he's from. It's implied that he's from Sydney or maybe even English. He's played by an English actor. Mm-hmm. But uh, Gary Bond is the actor's name. The uh, thing is, he's not at home here. He absolutely hates it. and uh, <laughs> But he has to serve out this, this stint and pay off his debt that the government put up for him in order to have him become a teacher, which is some kind of Australian... Uh, governmental thing that I didn't really figure out. Yeah. We'll play uh we'll play a clip here of having John explain it to Jock Crawford, the police chief in Buninyaba. Um but what happens is he uh school season's over, he's going to get on a train for the Christmas holidays to Sydney. Meet, uh, uh he meet, he's going to meet his girlfriend there and they're going to have a holiday together. But what happens is uh he gets stopped over in a place called Buninyaba for the night and yeah let's talk about boondin yabba for oh, a little bit yeah the yabba as they're fond of calling it you can always come to the yabba for your holidays yeah uh, the fir- the first the first scene is he finds where everybody is basically everybody's drinking in this kind of a bar but they play a game with these where they take pennies and they put x's on the tails they call it two up yeah and you put them on a small paddle and throw them up in the air and everybody bets on whether they're heads or tails and if they're if they're neither if they're mixed they do it again and everybody's just pounding beer so he pulls in young dashing blonde man's clearly not from there and the chief of police Meets the chief of police immediately, Jock Crawford. Yeah, and who's the actor? Um, Chips Rafferty. Chips Rafferty. Was... That was his final film. I read and um, and the and the anecdote that Ted Kotcheff relayed is that Chips got really bugged with the fake beer. When <laughs> 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 he told and Kotcheff said, "Well, you know, we're doing a lot of takes," and Chips said, "You take you take care of the directing. I'll take care yeah, of the drinking." I, I can act with fake beer. <laughs> what is this? What about another beer? He was a big deal in Australia in a lot yeah, of war movies. Yeah. He was kind of they some something I was reading a review of him said he was the Australian Gary Cooper. That's actually like that was makes his, a lot of sense. Yeah, when the forties and fifties he was a big deal, and he died right, like I think before the movie was released. He died in nineteen seventy one. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So basically, right after, right after that happens. But yeah, John meets this this police chief, Jock Crawford, in the pub. Police chief tells him kind of the deal with the town. It's a little place where uh, nothing really happens, just a lot of miners and farmers. Um, the they... sign the sign in the bar or the or the the place he's in says um, bar closes at six thirty by order of law and it's already eight twenty and, and everybody's people are just, just packed in there. It. The first yeah. guy when he first walks in the guy goes, But close mate and uh, <laughs> John turns around for one second and walks right back in. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's I a good saw one. that sign. Noticed it right away. Yeah, it's a good so one. So great. Um, but the he's noticing kind of the first thing he's feeling as he gets caught in this town is like an almost oppressive hospitality. Just this like insistence that yeah. people hang out with him and drink with him, and that's really bothering him a lot. I think. And you have to drink your beer all the way all at once down. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. at once. A couple more. Here, give us your dough. I'll get them quicker than you. It's a, it's a, he's a, whether you're a good bloke or not. Right. You know, it's like it's a test. Checking you right. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of the idea of mateship uh, in Australia, which is a big thing of what this movie's really talking about. Another of Kotchip's stories about when he was first in the movie looking for places to film in Australia, he pulls up on one of these places, kind of a nothing, uh, a sort of shack sort of bar that's filled with people and just a lot of, du- a lot of dudes drinking. No women, of course. A lot of, of course, dudes drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Ted walks in there and tries to order a beer, you know, whatever, out of a pint of ale or whatever he says. And 
some guy, some like big minor guy, just kind of gets up to him and goes, "Shit!" <laughs> and then he says, "How you doing, Stalin?" Because Ted Kotcheff's got this big mustache, so I guess he sort of, as Ted Ted says, sort of vaguely looked like Stalin. <laughs> and then Ted doesn't say anything to him; he just kind of waves and like whatever. Guy gets further in his face. I said, "What are you doing, Stalin?" And you know, the idea is like Ted's trying to. Uh, the guy's trying to provoke Ted in a, a fight, clearly, obviously. And, but Ted just looks back with the line, I'm sorry I can't talk to you, I'm dead. <laughs> but the guy uh, actually loved it. He responded by cracking up and says, I oh, have good Ted. And they hung out for the rest of the shoot. The guy told him a bunch of stuff about Australia. Every bar he was in, some guy that knew that guy was there. It's like, ah, oh, Ted's a good mate. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah he was like covered for it. little weird interaction goes from like, Super hostile address aggressiveness to like you're my best friend. <laughs> the litmus test. The litmus test is right. Yeah, right? and the and the and the chief of police is is the litmus tester for him like right away. Right away. And um, yeah, so he gets stranded there. The Gary Bond character gets um, stranded there because he gets so enamored with playing this game, wins a bunch of money. But because decide. he's going to buy his way out of this contract and never have to go back to the teaching town, that right? He was in and he that figures he if I just so score big, yeah. one more big score, goes back from his hotel room after counting his money, goes back, and he blows the whole wad and gets stranded there. Pretty immediately, the way that shot is super cool, also because you don't actually see the outcome of the toss, right? When it is him, you just see the actor's face, Gary Bond's face reacting to it and yeah, all yeah. the all the sound drops out and he looks down and the cut is to an overhead shot of his room the next day where he's just lying there naked clearly yeah. like feeling like shit yeah and yeah. you immediately know what happened yeah pretty good stuff he meets donald pleasance in there who's a super cryptic uh drunk all the little devils are proud of hell he's kind of there immediately i think to because john you, you know he's passed the test of mateship but he's also got his like sort of I'm better than this attitude and right. he definitely has that kind of city man snobbishness and so one of the you know John is basically talking to Donald Pleasance and he immediately recognizes him as like a fellow intellectual and right. he's almost trying to like bait him into getting them to talk shit about the Yava and, and you know Donald Pleasance says discontent is a luxury of the well to do you gotta live here you might as well like it why don't you like Crawford Jump? The touch of his hairy hand bent. I'm as forward of the aggressive hospitality, the arrogance of stupid people insist you should be as stupid as they are. It's death to farm out here. It's worse than death in the mines. You want them to sing opera as well? And what do you do? Because you know, they, they <laughs> right. do nothing but mine and stuff. It, it, so it, it, it almost like brings Gary Bond's character like down to their level in yeah, a certain yeah. way. Like, because he, he walked in thinking he was better than them in, because of his sort of city sophistication. And he doesn't realize that he's really out of his element. Right. Big, big yeah. time. Exactly. Uh, and then, then after he gets stranded there, he. Um, 
he ends up being befriended by. I don't even know what that guy is, but it's the only woman I, one of the few women you see right, in the film. The daughter of this little guy he meets in a bar the next day after having lost all his money and not really knowing what to do. He tries to go to the employment office, but it's closed. It's closed yeah. Of course, he ends up in a bar again and meets a, a little guy named Tim Hines, who's, I guess, I think in the book he was a real estate agent, but he's just this like very short, bow-tied man who yells a lot and drinks a lot. Uh, he drinks beer with tomato juice. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did yeah, notice that. Yeah, he was doing that. that in the bar. That was really cool. New to the Yabba? New to the Yabba. Like the old place? No, I think it's bloody awful. You don't like the Yabba? No. Will you have a drink? No, I'm toying with this one, thanks. Well, drink it down, or buy another. Look, I'm flat broke and I can't afford to drink. What's that gonna do with that man? I said I'd buy you a drink. You don't have to buy me one. Now drink it down. Two minis, Keith. Don't forget the tomato juice. And, and again, it's this oppressive hospitality. It's he tries to say no, he tries to mind his own business, but he gets sucked into this. He goes back to this guy's house. He meets the his daughter, who's the only woman in the movie. Right. And that's Jeanette. She's played by Ted Kotcheff's wife at the time, Sylvia Oh, Kay. I didn't know that. Yeah, she was his wife at the time. Uh, she's also miserable there. And uh, then... She looked familiar. I've seen her before, perhaps, but uh, maybe I'm maybe not. But that's an, that's a fun fact. Yeah, interesting fun fact. fact. Uh, another thing they did the first night that I want to go back to that we didn't really touch on is when he was hanging out with the police chief, Chips Rafferty, what about when they were in this bar and it was a bunch of guys gambling at these slot machines and they were playing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? <laughs> yeah. How there was a live was... band? Yeah, the live band. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to sing. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Christmas in Australia, or I think it is. Yeah, it I think must be because he's. That's why he's leaving to go back to Sydney, right? It's because right. it's the Christmas it's like holiday. holiday. They said yeah. that in the beginning. Um, but the the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, when it fades out, it becomes very solemn for about thirty five seconds. Do you remember that part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the Veterans Day tribute or something. Yeah, happens and, every night. Yeah, and they made them make everybody stand up. The light changes, and Gary Bond's like, "What the hell?" And uh, then there's an. Uh, announcement over a speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, let us pay a tribute to our fallen comrades. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. Lest we forget. Very strange. Happens yeah. every night, apparently, or in there, according to Ted Kontroff, and that's what that's a depiction of. It's just a, it's just a marvelous movie because it's a totally, totally different world, and for American audiences, uh, never mind, you know, you've got this, um, this character, this fish out of water, 
kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and he, he eventually adapts to drinking heavily and just hanging out with the, with the Mr. Heinz's buddies who are just these redneck, they're kind of like, kind of like Australian rednecks, rednecks more yeah, or less. Yeah. yeah. They're um, just driving around hunt and, uh, just the horrifying, um, the kangaroo hunt kangaroo is pretty hunt insane, is isn't like, it? Wow. Did you know, yeah. Did you know the story about any of that? I read about that, yeah. that they, they put a disclaimer at the end of the, the, the version I saw that said, you know, this was an authorized hunt. And, uh, so, you know, don't get, don't get on me about killing because they're clearly killing kangaroos and it's just frightening. And it's done by automobile headlight and the whole way it's shot is just claustrophobic and just crazy. It's very, uh, just, it's pretty intensely hard to watch and it keeps going on for a really long time. Yeah. It's just and it like keeps the, getting worse. There's a point in which Gary Bond and also another guy are just killing a kangaroo barehandedly. It's yeah, brutal it's just, as shit. It's just ridiculous. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's bad news. Yeah. Um, really frightening. L- luckily, uh, you know, they were, Ted Kotcheff was not actually killing kangaroos for the movie. They should put that on there. Yeah. Right. He had got the footage because that's something that happens in Australia every night apparently they're just dudes doing that uh you know to make american dog food that's kangaroo meat is for american dog food wow. so he just brought his camera with him with these guys who are professional fucking dog meat harvesters out in the outback and that's where all that footage comes from which is like also crazy fucking thing to think about it is really crazy like, so how many dogs and cats are just eating kangaroos nobody thinks about that it's insane <laughs> It, it's yeah that 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 was incredibly frightening and and getting trying to get out of town is just um he ends up he ends up with donald pleasance well yeah what about when they um go back to the bar after the kangaroo hunt and they just completely start destroying just it. trash the place and yeah donald pleasance is going on this monologue about perfectibility progress a vanity spawned by fear. A vanity spawned by fear. The aim of what you call civilization is a man of smoking jacket, whiskey and soda, pressing a bottom button. To destroy a planet a billion miles away, kill a billion people is never seen. Progress being a vanity spawned by fear. <laughs> oh, and then it, right as he falls over. And that whole monologue gave me... When I first described this movie to you, I called it Australian Deliverance. Because uh-huh. it sort of reminds me of the same thing. The way uh, Gary Bond acts in this movie reminds me a little bit of the way Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox act in the beginning of Deliverance. Where it's just like these fucking guys look at these hillbillies. yeah like, yeah yeah and it's got that real smugness to it and a lot of the movie is about showing that those protagonists like their sort of ignorance and their sort of insular culture that they live in right now right. in deliverance it happens in a very different way and here it's almost he becomes part of it he's co-opted into that culture yeah but, it's an it's an almost survival right. uh, mechanism yeah and, and it's I think it's kind of like a class commentary on sort of something like it, be, it. When this guy who's out of his element is put here, he 
has to survive, exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then when he leaves Donald Pleasant's house the next day, he's wearing sunglasses the whole time. He's wearing cool sunglasses, and he, he think he has them on the floor the next day, and they're broken, which I always love sunglass symbolism, right? Like <laughs> illusions being shattered and sort of like yeah. his pretensions of being a better person all the way gone. Yeah, your mask is yeah, down. Yeah, totally. It's broken. Uh, yeah. It's sort of, right, like Pleasant's speech talking about what is society if not a bunch of people in suits racing towards building nuclear weapons? Like, is this any better than you? It's a, yeah, like yeah. you said, it's a vanity spawned by fear. Yeah. So that that's where the movie was really Kill interesting Kill thousands to me. of people thousands of miles away or whatever. Yeah, while says, wearing yeah. a smoking jacket. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really loved that scene, and uh, I loved that sort of... Uh, symbolism about like brutality across the board no matter where these people are from and while while we're seeing Bundanyaba as just this totally harrowing awful place where you know it's oppressive in it's meanness and it's oppressive even in it's hospitality it's also not really different than any other place it's just like the starkest and even most honest depiction of it that's that's what Pleasance would say at least absolutely yeah absolutely yeah I would agree with that, and that's um, it's funny the the violence is you could separate the violence. Who's violent? Why are they violent? And what is it for? Uh, there's a, that's a thread through a lot of tense movies. Yeah, it is, and the even you think about North Dallas Forty specifically, and like the contact between the football players and like the hard hitting between them and the fighting another story Ted says about that about like why in this desolate landscape people are prone to this fighting culture all the time pretty interesting take remember we were saying that there's no women in the Yava except for for, uh, whatever uh, uh, Jeanette but yeah also when Ted was there he just talked to a lot of people he's like so nobody there's no women is is everyone gay? He's like, no, bloody, f- no, no faggots in the but Not not my words, but the <laughs> right. Ted's quotes words. Right. Um, the guy he was quoting. And so, yeah, apparently they're just ultra homophobic and there are no women, no prostitutes either. And basically, Ted was befuddled after hearing all these answers. Well, then how does anyone get human contact? Well, they fight. That's why the guy didn't punch me when he called me Stalin. He was trying to get me to punch him. It was the only thing of any human contact out here in this like all male, all homophobic, super desolate culture. It's really, it's really bizarre. Super bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a crazy story. Yeah. 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 It's very, the crux of that, of that place is like trying to figure out. Yeah. How, how, how you fit in, how you survive. Um, Gary Bonds, interestingly enough, uh, I read about him because it said he was a singer and I thought a singer, well, he was Joseph in Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. He, he yeah, was a Broadway that's right. guy. I, I knew that. And that's he cool. was openly gay. He was an openly gay actor in the early 60s. Had no qualms about um, about telling anybody where. And back then, just very few people were out of the closet. The older generation definitely was Especially in the closet. Especially a person who is in like a famous, prominent role, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty exactly cool. Exactly right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And they, what was it, said he dyed his hair blonde, so everybody thought he was just trying to be Peter O'Toole or something. <laughs> he kind of looks like Peter he O'Toole. Kinda he kind of does a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's really excellent. Handsome guy, yeah. yeah. He's got a cool wardrobe. I love the safari jackets that he's wearing. Yeah. Like, I, I love that all khaki 70s look. <laughs> it's really neat. <laughs> yeah. Well, this movie is uh, this movie is just all around uh, must watch, and 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 thankfully the film was actually completely lost. That's right. The, Let's talk um, about that. The two production companies 
One went bankrupt right after the film was released, and then the other one sold to CBS. And the editor of the film spent 10 years trying to find a copy of it because it had just disappeared. And they found it in the Iron Mountain archives of CBS. They found, I don't know how many rolls, uh, reels of film in a box called Marked for Destruction. Isn't that wild? Like within yeah. a week, I think he was saying. It would have yeah, been out yeah. within a week. Yeah, it would have been out within a week. And then they found uh, rolls and rolls of negative. And so they'd say, did a really nice digital transfer. And it's a, it's a, it's visually stunning uh, movie and just really, really well acted by everybody. Donald Pleasance is a is a. That, I think he's great. It's a real, real role revelation. For him. You know, for him, anybody yeah. who knows him as a James Bond villain would would or, be pleasantly or Doctor Loomis from Halloween. Yeah, would be pleasantly surprised to see him really take on a real, real, real person role. And he seems like a man who was out of his element at one point. I in think the so. Yava. He right. was a doctor, and and he just. Turned into a drunk, a self-admitted alcoholic. Yeah, he yeah. was somebody who like made the choice to adapt to it because he couldn't deal with the rest of the world. He's almost right. What's interesting about him is these, you know, Tim Hines and the miners and the cops. Those are just people of the ABBA who are born there. But Donald Pleasance is a guy who is so he was like dysfunctional and did not fit in and was disillusioned with society. So he chose to go to the ABBA because yeah, it was yeah. better for him. Yeah. Like I think that's kind of interesting. And I he's do still too. Always, yeah. Like, and how, how does the movie end when uh, when John is basically, he wakes up from the kangaroo hunt, he wakes up from his experiences with these guys, and he is so freaked out and disillusioned, he try, he tries to get out of town first is what he tries to do, right? And what happens to him then? Yeah, he trades his rifle to a truck uh, trucker who takes him, he says he thinks he's taking him to Sydney, to the city. And uh, it reminds me of the movie The Prisoner. <laughs> There's an Fair episode point. of The Prisoner where they escape. He and a woman escape the island, and they uh, and, and end up right back where they were. I thought you said you were going to Sydney. In a what? You said city, mate. London Yap is a city, ain't it? And so John Grant ends up right back where he was, and it's just and the and the driver gives him his rifle back. He feels sorry for him. He says, "You know, you're going to need this, I yeah. guess." And At least it cost you nothing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he takes the rifle, and he's going to kill Donald Pleasance, who's not home. Uh, yeah, I don't want to give up the ending totally. But no, that, not totally. It's, but it's, let's say that his hatred for this place and the the things that are brought out in himself. He's actually ultimately saved by two creatures of the place. Let's put it that way. Exactly, that yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's him sort of like being brought down to size and sort of understanding that his urbane, sophisticated society life is no better than these rural people who are brutal. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the, 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 the sheriff or whatever he is. Um, the chief of police, yeah. Um, he... The chief of police does mention suicide at the beginning of the movie. That's right. Um, what do you know. do along here? Oh, nothing. Just a few suicides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and that's funny. There's so little crime crime. It's because everything is socially accepted. Everybody's all the, uh, just kind of, yeah, everybody going does their very thing. uninhibited yeah. all they the time. They drink yeah. and very heavily. They gamble. They beat each other up. They kill kangaroos. It's just like, what the fuck? 
Yeah, they destroy buildings all the time. Yeah, yeah they just beat a, the shit out of everything and everybody. It's yeah. an astoundingly good movie. That um, music by John Scott, who did the music for North Dallas Forty. Also, that opening theme when it's John Grant walking out of the schoolhouse in the original town he's in and going to the hotel slash bar. Mm-hmm. Really awesome opening theme. Yeah, That's great yeah, music to great just drive music. to. I was very impressed with that music. Uh, yeah, they, that's Wake and Fright. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about? I guess the fact that it was a pretty important movie in Australian cinema. Yeah. Um, at the time, they hated it. They, they were offended by it. This isn't us. Or there's another story Ted tells about at its first one of its early screenings. A guy, you know, there was bad reaction in the audience. Some guy yells up, this isn't us. And then another guy also reacted to him, shut up, Mike, this is exactly us. <laughs> and then we'd watch the rest of the movie. And... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it was not a hit in Australia originally, I guess. It was actually like kind of a hated movie. It was released uh, as in the U.S. and very limited release, like a drive-in movie under the title Outback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's been shown at Cannes twice, one of the very few movies to be shown at Cannes twice. and Because uh, it was restored and right. lost and restored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just quite, quite something. Uh, yeah, uh, so some other movies that came out in the Australian film movement of the 70s and 80s that were sort of right around the same time influential that I want to talk about, or else not really want to talk about, but just mention in case anybody's interested, would be uh, The Adventures of Barry McKenzie, The Cars of the Late Paris, uh, Walkabout, and then of course another really good one is Picnic at Hanging Rock, Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging yeah, Rock. Yeah, Peter Weir was, uh, yeah, he uh, was quite the Australian... Uh... Um, my son Robert and I watched a, a uh, Australian television film that Peter Weir did before anybody knew who he was called oh, yeah? uh, The Plumber. Huh. Really good. Really I'd good. like to check Hard it out. Hard to find. I think Criterion has it. Cool. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, one of Martin Scorsese's favorite movies also. Another excellent. thing to say. Yeah, he's a big Can't fan. Can't beat it. All right. Let's uh, take a short cool. break here and get some coffee. Yes, sir. So, yeah, we had Ted Kotcheff, a, a director from Canada, come. We talked about Wake and Fright, a pretty definitive Australian movie. I think the next movie we're going to talk about is, in a lot of ways, a pretty definitive movie about being an American or a member of the American middle class, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, talk about that for a couple minutes. Let's talk about Fun with Dick and Jane. Yeah, yeah, Fun with Dick and Jane. Say all things go too fast and babies don't last. They grow up as soon as they get the chance. Let's face it. A whole new way of behaving with brand new rules to break. Wahoo, how time flies. We were once ahead. Just uh, a, a wonderful, Amer- yeah, like you said, an American movie uh, about a couple, an upwardly mobile um, aerospace executive played by George Siegel with his lovely wife, Jane Fonda, who's, you know, stays at home. Uh, he gets canned by, of all people, Ed McMahon. Ed drunk McMahon. Ed McMahon, yeah. A real drunk Ed McMahon. And uh, Ed McMahon's filmography is was, Pretty small. I, I never about knew him three. as an actor, I really. Never. Just a Johnny Carson I know, and, and I know. you know the big checks. All yeah, around. he got like third billing in this movie too yeah. because uh, he was the boss. 
That's so he's funny. an he owns an aerospace company, and everybody gets canned because of the recession and uh, the you know the space program uh, has been budget's been cut, and so George Siegel is well, you're There's firing a, every, me. Yeah. All, all the uh, all the money that went towards the space program is now being put towards missiles. Basically, is <laughs> sort of like there's a lot of that in there too. Just like our our industry that was once so hopeful is now just decimated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was a great feeling to be part of the team that tied the lace on the shoe that took that giant step for mankind. You don't get that feeling from building a goddamn missile. Now, what's all this crap? It's my plan to reorganize my department. One small step. One giant step for mankind. I wouldn't say that, but it's not a bad plan. You know who made that step possible? We did. You and me. Bob Kane, Frank Chapman. We put Neil and what's his name on the bloody moon. And then they gave us the shaft. It stinks. On ice. Dick. I always thought you were the kind of guy I didn't have to bullshit. I'm glad to hear that. Can I level with you? Sure. I mean, really level. Charlie, you can tell me anything. You're fired. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's just opens up right away where he gets canned. Immediately, yeah, the first yeah. scene, right? The- and uh, you know, they're stuck in a lot of debt. They've got this big house. Um, you know, and nothing really to fall back on. And very quickly, they find themselves in, in kind of a bad situation. <laughs> one, one of the first Pretty things quickly, that happens, yeah. I love, is the landscaper. They bounce two checks to him, and he comes and rips out their entire yard. And their the, whole front yard and backyard is just in the, a big in a pool built. <laughs> <laughs> and at this at this point, Jane Fonda is still trying to hold on to her status, right? So right, it's pretty right. early on in the movie. And, and how is she able to spin it for all the neighborhood Karen? She <laughs> she starts yelling at the guys because, for putting like, in the wrong plants. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're using Gestapo tactics. It's impossible. I'm Jewish. Hey, hey, watch those plants over there. Ah. Now watch them roots. That's right. I'd like you to take all of these bushes out, all of these trees, everything up there, every every rotten weed in this whole garden, and this... Come here for a second. Would you please remove this tracheotomy or whatever it's called? This is not what we ordered, and I told you so a month ago. Oh, I can't believe this. I told them, you plant what we want, or I'm going to make you take it all back. What a rip-off. That's right. Roll up the lawn. I don't like the lawn either. AstroTurf has more life than this stuff. You will never work in this neighborhood again, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got all the just, all the buzzwords down of yeah, just yeah. insufferable, like, Karen class white type. Lady. Yeah, it yeah. the worst. She's got a Karen vibe to her going on there, but she's just trying to, like, grapple with the reality that they might be in real trouble real quick. The, I, I just love the way she tries to spin it for her neighborhood, though. Like, yeah, yeah. Nothing oh, is wrong. absolutely. Nothing is yeah, wrong. Nothing's wrong. So no. much of this movie is about like not even having money, but making sure it looks like you. It have It looks money. like you have it. There's, exactly. That's a very big running theme of the movie. It, it, absolutely correct. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so great. And George Siegel is just—he's uh, sort of got an everyman 
thing. He's just a terrific actor, and and it's a very funny movie um, because they just carry it off. They just really carry it off. Both of them carry it she off. He ends so up well. uh, Dick George Siegel's character has to end up going on unemployment, and he's like got a very sort of privileged and like not particularly real real understanding of how the unemployment sort of right. the life clueless. of an unemployed person yeah, yeah. works. So yeah. he ends up meeting Raul in the unemployment line, who was a janitor from the same company who got canned at the same time. <laughs> right. And right. then he's end up becoming buddies working on how to how to uh, basically just working in the unemployment system. Is this your first time in here? Damn right. Man, are you in luck? I'm gonna take care of you. Minkasa Sukasa, you know what I mean? Oh sure. First thing, though, look, you're in the wrong line. Wrong oh, line? I'm going to lose my place here, Raul. Information? They make you wait in line two hours, and all they do is tell you to fill out one of these. I'm going to take care of you. No problem. At one point, they get an opportunity to uh, work for cash as, like, extras in a play or something. Yeah, it's like a musical... Uh, um, it, it's... It's Carmen or something, something like, yeah. like a like a some kind of yeah some local um, thing and he oh god uh, the uh, Dick's character is almost in blackface which is yeah really in weird. pretty brown face yeah, yeah he's pretty, pretty brown face it's really weird uh, and he's just kind of standing there uh, banging on a, banging on a pot or something you know something but silly. the whole the whole way raul was able to convince him to do it was this whole thing about like how because he was, i don't i'm not gonna be a welfare chiseler and raul tells him no we're not welfare chiselers we want to work we are working you know, like, <laughs> right. but you're not allowed to work if you're collecting unemployment well we're just breaking the rules <laughs> yeah 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 george siegel is so concerned with being you know playing by the rules that uh he very quickly learns how how the sort underground of economy kind of works. And sort of how nonsense those rules are to begin with when you're poor. Like, yeah. you know, it's how it's just not even in your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. It's only something you're going to concern yourself with if you don't have to concern yourself with it. Yeah, exactly. And the state of Florida is a prime example of, a, of an unemployment system that tries to discourage you from being in the system by making it almost impossible. Yeah. When I got laid off, and, and that's what appealed to me about this movie, is having been actually laid off from a large multinational is... is uh, you know it's coming. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah. I, I don't think George Siegel. I don't think George Siegel knew it was coming, and I think that uh, that's the whole thing about the that '70s recession. Is it seems like nobody really. It's almost like they were just oblivious. They were going right. to go on with their with their kind of artificially prosperous. Like you said, it's it's mostly a status thing. They're in the right, right neighborhood with the right friends, like the right at, clubs. At one point, they have to spend a lot of money because he has someone coming over to potentially offer him a job. A guy by the name of Jim Weeks is coming to lunch. He wants to talk to me about a job. Where did you get the money? I got friends. Uh, we'll tell him you're on a diet. Well, why don't we tell him you're on a diet? This is not fun, Jane. This is serious. Do you really think he's going to offer you a job? As long as he thinks I don't need one. I know those bastards. So Jane is cooking steaks, and they've got the champagne, and the and the landscaper shows up with a bullhorn and blows all the Dead beat! Dead beat! <laughs> we want the indoor plants, dead beat! Plants ain't free just because they grow on trees, dead beat! I know you're in there, dead beat!
So um, they they're still trying to play by the rules, and they go to basically a a, a loan shark, not a not a back alley loan shark, but a a storefront loan shark that wants to loan them a thousand dollars at like eighteen percent or something. Yeah. Which again, that's kind of like robbery. And that scene is really funny because right when that right when they get finally get approved for a thousand dollars. These two guys break in and rob the store, and I recognize one of them right away. Did you see who it was? No, I don't it remember was who was Dwayne it. Dwayne Jesse. Okay. Dwayne Jesse was um, Otis Day in Animal Oh, House. really? Now wait a minute. That's yeah, so yeah. funny. I did not recognize he him. Also That's has a part in, uh, he also has a part in, in uh, um, Where the Buffalo Realm with Bill Murray. Oh, Murray's yeah, which Hunter I have seen, but thing. it's been ages. Yeah. yeah. So I said, oh, Dwayne Jesse. You know, and so they're... they're Part of me always thought Otis Day was just a guy. Like <laughs> yeah, he was, oh, he, he was, was playing so, himself. He was yeah. so good at it. Yeah, that, I uh, thought that was just he, I, an actual I think band. he got stuck kind yeah. of being typecast wow. as that person, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they uh, the place gets robbed. They take they they steal the money that they just borrowed, and they take Jane Fonda with them, and um, the police show up, and, and so while they're running away... They drop a bunch of money, and she just picks it up and puts it in her purse. And the really funny scene, uh, there's a funny story behind that scene when they're back at the house, and she says, come in the bathroom and lock the door. Close the door. Lock it. They dropped it, and I fell on it, and while the police were chasing them, I put it in my bag. Oh, my God. I don't know what happened to me. I just did it. There's $2,000 here. I can't believe I did it. Neither <laughs> can I. Dick, it's not funny. I've committed a crime. I've done a hell of a job at oh. it. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't give it back. Do you know that it never even occurred to me to give it back? You I can't are believe sensational. it. Oh, stop it, Dick. <laughs> hey, would you turn on the faucet? I'm going to give it back. To who? The robbers? The money belongs to the loan. They have insurance, don't they? Exactly. Yeah, but suppose they catch those guys. I mean, they saw me take it. They're never going to catch them. And besides, even if they finger you, who's going to believe them? That's right. The cops are never going to believe them. They're going to just think that they spent it all. I can't believe we're talking like this. Dick, we've always done things the straight way. Yeah, well, I'm tired of belonging to a minority group. During that scene, she pees. Right? She, yes, she, she does. She yeah, just no. drops her, you know, you don't really see anything, right. but she drops everything and takes a piss right there. Yeah, and no, you're Tetch totally Cot right in the house. Yeah, yeah Ted Kotcheff uh, talks about that scene. That the studio yeah, was a little weirded out by that scene, but it played so well in the it's, audience it, it's like that a, they kept it. In a marriage, right? It would not be, they would not think twice about it. Not in exactly life. right. Yeah, exactly so right. It, it is kind of a cool scene in that way because it would not be depicted in most movies. No, no and it's yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, I, I, I worked with a worked with a young woman who was divorced and dating, and we would talk about getting divorced. Me not dating, but she was dating. And uh, she said one time, she said, You know, I really like this guy. But I haven't even taken a shit at his house yet. And I thought, if I had known that was a criteria for going out with you, I would have had you over to the bathroom right away. That's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, that's really cool. Just the cl can... cluelessness of people. that Nobody knows what anybody else is actually thinking. It's like another great, great Amer uh, uh, sort of universal thing. Well, it gets to the point where Dick decides that he's just going to, if, if he can be robbed, he can rob somebody else. Right, and sort of like 
ultimately not doing anything different than the systems were doing to him. The systems that have been exactly. cheating him. So exactly basically right. you realize is again it's it's sort of kind of a, a like a Michael Ritchie movie in that it's a one individual versus like a terrible system. Yeah, there, you there you go. Yeah, yeah. And he embraces it even though he has no idea what he's doing. He says, "Okay, what you what you have to do is steal a car. You have to if you're going to rob a place, you can't do it in your own car. So you can't you can't even steal a car." Jane says, "By the that's way, really this one has scene. the keys yeah, in really it, funny and, scene. you know." Um, yeah, he tries to rob a drugstore and and um, and it, the gun he has slips out of his waistband down his pant leg, so he can't pull off the robbery. Ends up buying a bunch of condoms and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's really a embarrassed. Deli, yeah, he's really buying like a big salami or something. It's really bizarre. And they well, once they finally get their one robbery under the belt, it's a montage where they get kinda, really good at it. There's some pretty funny jokes in that montage too. Like they, uh, there's one where it's another just the sort of privilege of a of a. Uh, insulated middle-class white guy kind of going into a world he doesn't know and he tries to rob a bar and walks in and the fact that everyone at the bar is black immediately intimidates him and he freaks out and yeah raises and walks his away. Hands. I'm, and, I'm sorry and, I'm, i'm in the wrong the, place that stays on the bar for a second and the uh, one of the guys in the bar says to the other when they start busting white robbers into the black neighborhood <laughs> was like a, a joke in the 70s that would have been timely, right? I guess busing was such a big issue. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, it's too funny. Another one of the places they robbed, did you notice the name of it? I guess it was a store or a restaurant, I'm not even sure, uh, was Licorice Pizza. I didn't notice that, that name. Yeah, That's I, hilarious. I, I don't know what that even, I guess it's a place maybe in, in L.A. in the 70s, but... Paul oh, I'm wondering if that, that, was my, that was one pizza. of my favorite jokes, if that's the restaurant where they... Um, I think they, it is, yeah. Yeah, they go up to the counter, and uh, the, uh, the guy behind the counter says, how was your food? And the seagull pulls out a gun, and the guy goes, that bad, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great a pretty line. good movie, pretty good movie. One of the people they also robbed, since we're just going through it, is another great uh, a sort of timely th- symbol that seems to never lose relevance is just the vapid prosperity gospel preaching televangelist. Yeah, like they Dick Gautier. I recognized him. He he was kind of made his bones on shows like Love Boat. And oh he, yeah. He had a sort of a sort of a semi handsome kind of look about smarmy. him. Smarmy. And he did cheesy. smarmy really yeah. well. Yeah. Um, funny. Yeah. That that was a character that to me feels like could be on just early morning television today with like very little changing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Still, yeah. like, the, uh, the leisure suit and yeah. the pile the of money. crazy hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sitting on like a throne, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was just, uh, it was a nice dig at, at that whole, um, and that whole that scene. The Christianity. Televangelism scene. sort of uh, uh, industrial complex, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and just piles of cash. Piles of cash. Yeah. yeah. You see... You must take the limit off your financial thinking and you will get more money. Don't worry about how. Inspirational. Say, I am. Stick them up. <laughs> Did I hear you right, sinner? Are you holding me up? I am. Hands on your head, both of you. The guy, uh, just me being a 70s car slash production design kind of guy, always having an eye for that. Just like the politician in Bad News Bears who was sort of flashy and and luxury on the outside but a shitbox on the inside this preacher drives a ford granada yeah yeah there you go there you go not even on purpose probably just something i noticed well now they've gotten uh, you got your joel osteens with your you know uh the mega church now thing. yeah now they're actually yeah. like 
open about it. It's it's entirely like mainstreamed now. It's not even kind of like under like sort of thought of as sketchy or right. sleazy anymore. Just everybody knows. it's just mainstream. I remember being in school and uh, and one of the instructors worked for Bon Jovi and he always said it that way too. Bon Jovi, man. So he worked for them and he said, "You know who the big what the biggest touring uh, the biggest rigs touring, you know, scene was, and we're all like going, I don't know, Aerosmith, uh, like Stones. No, he said, Ernest Angley. I was visited by God when I was seven years of age, carried away by his spirit, carried into the stars of heaven. There were stars everywhere, millions and millions of stars, and no way to number them. God said the stars were the souls that I would win for him. Ernest Angley, I don't know if you've ever I seen him, so. but he's a he's a television that heals deaf children. Oh, he's, he's a very uh, scary like a looking guy. He's guy. like a diamond shaped body, a little little short fat ass. That's funny. That's guy. a guy. He I've had the, the most equipment in traveling, you know, as far as like a traveling show, sound lights. You know, yeah. cast of characters and you know all the fake deaf people. <laughs> I was I was watching. Have you seen Doctor Gene Scott? Oh God! I yeah. was watching some Gene Scott the other day. That yeah. guy's got a great hairdo. He's always looking funny. Not one more word tonight till that thousand comes in. Do you understand that God's work hangs on six hundred miserable dollars? Jan and uh, when Neil Rogers called him Jan and Paul Crotch, they're right over here. <laughs> yeah, at, sure. Channel Forty Five is right over here in uh, South Florida, right down the street from us. This is Jesus' birthday, people. Welcome back to the Televangelist Podcast. Yeah, and, there we uh, go. But <laughs> off the rails again. <laughs> anyway, Dick take and Jane is all about, like you said, you thought it was one of the best films you'd seen about money. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and sort of the preoccupation about money. Exactly. Uh, even to the point where it's not even about having it; it's just about making people think you have it. Yeah. Oh. And what ends up happening? Well, what ends up happening is they finally. What is it? They uh, they what, decide they end up trying to rob Ed McMahon. Get, <laughs> well, they almost end up getting caught too uh, uh, by the televangelist. That was kind of a scary. It was like a police chase. Yeah, and it really made him brief, second. But it was very brief, right? Yeah, it was yeah. But detour. it really made him really made him think about what they were doing, and and um, yeah. But so they end up robbing Ed McMahon. Or trying to, you know, rob Ed McMahon because he's the he's their Dick's previous boss mm-hmm. who fired him, um, who everybody knew he had this big slush fund of cash that he was paying off. Of course, the Arabs. It's another seventies, right. another seventies kind of, kind of a, thing that they say, uh, yeah. yeah, thing that um, uh, and and Ed McMahon. I have to admit, he 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 was pretty good. He was very funny. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. very funny. He it's was just like suited a for huge, the role. just rich schlub, like out of it asshole. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they got invited uh, because they were making all this money. They their house, they got the pool finished, and they That's had a right, big party. Yeah. And all these people are like, "Oh yeah, you're you're just like you always were." You know, blue collar criminals and, with a white collar mentality. Yeah, nobody really was the wiser, and they figured out that. Um, that had had this uh, money in his safe, so they decided to rob him during a party. It's really, uh, it, it's really a fun ending. Yeah, it's Definitely a good movie. A um, yeah, let's I mean, we can end it there instead of actually yeah. give away like the final jokes or whatever. No, no. But it is a good, worth movie watching. It's worth worth watching. movie watching. <laughs> worth movie. That's right. It's a worth movie watching. It's exactly correct. Whatever you say, guys. Okay, <laughs> let's take a break.
All right, we're back. Cool. Next movie, North Dallas 40. My all-time favorite sports movie ever by anybody. It's um, pretty good. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty amazing. Nick Nolte, um, uh, Mac Davis, the guy who wrote In the Ghetto, and um, numerous other wild? songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah so and cool. mostly known as not even a singer, but a songwriter. In um, any other movies? Not that I know of. I, don't, I can't I think, think so. I think he has, and to tell you the truth, I did not look him up. Yeah, um, he's that. a guy I had not seen before. He's the Ed McMahon of North Dallas 40. Hey, that's apparently. right. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else is just, we hadn't looked up, but yeah, I don't yeah. remember he was in that many movies. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's based on the Peter Gent book. It's a fictional uh, fictionalized version of the Dallas Cowboys, basically. It was a North Dallas Bulls. Yeah, the they call North them. Dallas yeah. Bulls, and uh, Nick Nolte plays uh, kind of up in years wide receiver with a great pair of hands, but uh, as the coaches want to remind him, it's your childish attitude. And he's been taking a real bunch of beatings. All the players have. The opening of that movie, it just knocks me out because he's basically laying in bed and the alarm clock goes off and there's all this blood that's out of his nose all over the pillowcase. And he's reaching for pills and beer to wash him down. And he, as he gets out of bed, he revisits the game from the previous night and all the times he just got hammered. And the noise of a... Yeah, yeah. It's all, it's, you hear the bones crunching in such a, a way that... It's a wonderful opening of a movie. It's Great good. theme by John Scott, who did the music. Also Wake and Fright, right? Wake and Fright, yeah. Fright, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love how directors like to use a, a lot of the... A lot of their, you know, musical buddies. Collaborators, yeah, yeah, it is always good. Yeah. Um, you'll see that a lot for sure. Yeah, so the opening of that movie, it just really sets the tone for for the whole... The whole... Uh, and the tone is essentially just how much this is taking out of him and how brutal the whole system yeah, of the pro br- football Yeah, the brutality of pro, bo- pro football. And yet he caught the winning touchdown, so he's smoking a joint in the bathtub, <laughs> smiling at that. So he got that going for him. And yep. that's a theme, you know, the anti-hero. He's just like, he, he mentions that to his girlfriend later in the movie. He said, but what's important is my performing. The moment of the catch, that feeling, that high. You know, he also he keeps reflecting back on a ball that he didn't catch, mm-hmm. which he which clearly disturbs him. Like <sighs> I can't figure out how I dropped that turn in. It happens. No, man, not to me it doesn't, you know. Jesus Christ, you caught the game when it passed, pal. Relax, enjoy yourself. It's a pretty day. Man, I had that ball right in my hands. 
I just couldn't hang on to the damn thing. It's, and he just, he's just he's a football player, and that's all he is. He doesn't want to, and in in the most literal of ways, like he just wants to play football. He does not want to participate in really the pro football lifestyle and all the nonsense that goes along with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and there's a plenty of nonsense. Plenty of nonsense. Some a, of it funny, other just kind of awful. Like I think there's a lot of social commentary in this movie too, and the yeah. idea of like working for someone else mm-hmm. and just how ultimately unrewarding it is. Um, Especially the corporate ownership where you've got a rich Texas. Oil man and his brother, played by Dabney Coleman, who's again Dabney Coleman. Another to the another max. fan favorite. We talked about him in Downhill Racer last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just hinted at how yeah, was, at how maxed out he can get. He really maxes it out a couple of times in North Dallas. For 40. sure. Oh my gosh! Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ruth, you got that contract? Oh yes. Sir. I want you to see this. This is something. I want you to be interested. A little contract here for our number one draft choice, wide receiver out of Lubbock. Lubbock. Real good one here. Yeah. So I. Uh, Gosh, I guess next year, this means you'll be... Do you speak Canadian at all, or...? Emmett, you've been running these guys at me for years. (laughs) Really funny as the brother of the owner. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and there's this horrible tree on the wall of the <laughs> office right you and i were laughing at that and it's all this guy's industries you know on they each branch of his big ugly and... tree and the, at the very top is a not one damn corporation i own that means as much to me right here as my football team yeah bullshit <laughs> it's, a, it's it's just the the money and the and the clothes system and just how how demeaning it is mm-hmm. to players who, again, it's a, it's a sort of a workers, uh, a lot of workers, I'm sure, would see themselves as, you know, again, you're getting the same kind Cogs of treatment. Cogs in the machine, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And it reminds me of one, it seems, we watched it first. I mean, we're talking about it third, but Todd and I, we watched it first, last immediately after recording our last week's podcast. Yeah, yeah, that was our first Ted movie. And it seems so much like a Richie movie, a piece with the ones we talked about last week in that it talks about competition in sports, but also a commentary on individuals in institutions, right? Yeah, yeah, Stuck yeah. Stuck in these, like, hells to be escaped. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's a team sport. The coach... The coach is this very Christian guy who keeps quoting the Bible and GD Spradlin. Yeah, and he right, he's marvelous and he keeps hitting this. It's some old IBM, you know, big brain, clicky computer Going on kind these of thing like with a green screen. Throwing all these stats at Nick yeah, Nolte, like real cold and bloodless. And there's a theme that runs through all this data fill. It's immaturity. Your immaturity. You lack seriousness. Well, I scored five TDs coming off the bench. That's pretty serious. You scored five TDs. Don't you know that we work for those? We plan for them. We let you score those touchdowns. B.A., I've always given you 100%. 100%. You're talking about individual effort. Yes, you do give that. I don't deny it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a team. I'm talking about a winning team. The winning team is 45 finely meshed gears working together in perfect synchronization. One of those gears flies off on its own, I pull it. Yeah, and it's kind of that, yeah, kind of, it kind of is an early hint of what has now become sabermetrics. Exactly uh, right, yeah. What's so annoying about statistics. sports coverage today, it, it kind of talked about that. In it's my, stats, 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 yeah, stats. Oh, it's stats and gambling. bloodless and boring. Yeah, 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 stats and gambling. And this movie is, is about how great football can be for the player and how the player is the talent 
Right. And, you know, but yet they're treated just like... Like m- numbers, commodities, right? Commodities. Basically, commodities, exactly. right? What does what does Nick Nolte say to the coach at the end? Oh Christ's sake, BA, we're not the team. They're the team. The, these guys right here, BA, they're the team. We're the equipment. We're the jock straps, the helmets, and they, and they just depreciate us and take us off the goddamn tax returns. That's what that is. Because they're constantly telling Nick Nolte that he's just got. A, he's a too childish selfish. attitude. He's too selfish, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's too selfish. He's a, he's a team player. Bill, you have the best hands in football. But there's a lot more to this business than ability. No, 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 no. You're wrong. You're wrong because it is ability. It is what I can do with these hands. And that's why I play the game. It's dedication. It's discipline. It's sacrifice. You can't take all the time. You have to give something back to the game. Oh, for Christ's sake, Billy. My nose is busted. I can't even breathe through it. I can hardly stand up. You know, I haven't slept more than three hours at a stretch in two years. Not even that giving something back. Oh, for Christ's sake, B.A., there's pieces of me scattered from here to Pittsburgh on these football fields. Now, isn't that giving something back to the game? Isn't it? Oh, it's marvelous, and and, uh, and and Nick Nolte is really, he he gives you the feeling of how painful it is to have a body that's just so wrecked. have nobody give a shit just yeah, pills, yeah. pills 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 yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's a it's a sort Tell of him a, he needs to give more it's like the tail end of the great era of football where you've got pictures of like who was it joe montana smoking a cigarette in the locker room i mean this team is always guzzling beers and taking or pills or joe namath probably yeah, yeah. namath it would be a perfect uh that that era of football yeah it, it's a good good example too where you're really you really just like he says, you know, you give me uh, he gets in trouble for smoking marijuana. And it seems like they basically are just looking for an excuse to get rid of him throughout the whole movie. And um, he says, you give me hardest stuff in Chicago just to get out of the goddamn locker room. Hard drugs. It, yeah, I and mean, it's true. Just the again, institution and these hypocritical regulations and sort of like exactly w- m- ways to just maximize profit out of somebody. Yeah, yeah. So he meets um uh he he meets a girl at a party. It's a pregame party. They're going on the road to play in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um uh Joe Bob. Oh, but uh yeah, Joe Bob. Is that Bo, Bo Svensson plays That's Joe Bo Bob, Svensson, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, Great character, um, really funny yeah, character. And OW Spradlin is played by the marvelous John Matuzak, who was an actual football player for the Raiders and uh had one other role off the top of my head. He was he was in the Goonies. He was, uh, I don't remember the name of him, but he was really the grotesque, disfigured uh, The pirate guy? The guy with the yeah, eyeball okay. way down here. Was it One-Eyed Willie? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah something. I don't remember, I don't remember that movie too well, but, but I know, I know out, what you're talking about. Yeah, it turns out that's Matuzak, who's just basically <laughs> this big bear of a yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
he he gives a speech at the end of the movie that is just uh, it sums a up a great everything. thesis statement, yeah, right? And yeah. who's he talking to in that speech? Is Charles Charles Durning? Durning. Uh, he's uh, a, uh, he's the assistant coach who's like the foul mouthed uh, front man. Take for your the fucking hat off, coach. Yeah, take off your fucking hat. Take off your fucking hat. Sorry, much. Well, he's not the front man. He's behind him, right? He's, he's the, behind he's the him, whip in his ta- hand. Yeah, but he yeah. takes all the he, he takes mm-hmm. all the heat. He's the uh, he he's the the taskmaster. Right. The, just get the ball snapped. Then give me a fucking head. And the head coach is just kind of the guy who just walks around going. Now that's concentration, Elliot. Oh, uh, and they're practicing in the basketball court. Yeah, uh, that's uh, right. Live contact. Uh, just insane. more stuff that just looks like it hurts. Hey! It's yeah. so insane. And, of course, Ted Kotcheff is, uh, you know, the, he said that he's really a, an actress director. and he, But yet he, um, with sports movies, it's always like, how do you capture the action without it looking just... Staged, right? Yeah, yeah. staged. And, and uh, he does a really good job of that. Really good job. Uh, Nick Nolte is, is, is fantastic, again, because he's just always, he's just always creaky. Yeah. He's just like old way before his time. He's really creaky and just can't sleep. Uh, too much pain. Daryl Haddon plays his girlfriend, who uh, not too many movie roles to her credit. I believe she was a model at some point. She's really good in this. She carries it off really well. I think that this game is twisting your mind. Nick is sleeping with the owner's brother's girlfriend, okay, okay. but his girl, his actual girlfriend, he meets at at this pregame party where Matuzak is drink picks up the entire punch bowl, is drinking out of it. Uh, um, Bo Svensson's carrying girls around over his head, uh, and there's a, there's this real smarmy, real smarmy guy who just there to give you give all the players free TVs and lizard boots. Yeah. And, ah! Hey, Bill Bob, I got a great dolly for you. She's last year's Miss Farm Implements. <laughs> Come on this way. The idea of just uh, everybody um, kind of like wants to get close with the sports people to just ma- maximize profit. Yeah, them, yeah right? exactly. Yeah. They want to sell them a condo. Sort of like, you know. almost like uh, the... Uh, Spike Lee movie, he got game, right? It's a similar feel to that. Now it's just exactly. everybody else vulturing off of this sports guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And that's 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 true. That guy is is an absolute vulture. So, yeah. so uh, the Daryl Haddon uh, character who becomes Nick Nolte's girlfriend later is uh, is at this party because she thought it would be fun, <laughs> and it was not. It's more uh, harrowing, more like a night oh, in the Yaba. Scary. Yeah, yeah, it was like it, very much like a Yaba. Yeah, yeah. If a football team in in Australia, which I, you know, they, yeah. they have them, I can only imagine it's not much different. We just have a little bit more, uh, more drugs, more money, mm-hmm. um, big parties, orgies, corporate uh, owners, a lot too. of weed, <laughs> yeah, and corporate owners. So yeah, it's a man against a system, and a system that the only thing he really knows how to do well. Um, and they're just constantly right. busting his balls. It's the rules they make up. You know, that's what gets him. He can't, I can't play the, I can play the game. 
But what is the, you know, right. what's and the game? And their game is way different than the game of football. You think about when he says it's the rules they make up, and it's like George Siegel talking to the unemployment guy about how the rules are the problem. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. It's very much yeah. like Ted Kotcheff thematically, again, about, like, people who are just trying their best but unable to escape this, like, nonsense, top-down, like, dictates. Yeah, yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, and you had said, you had said something really uh, good about, I forget which movie it is, the hell to get out of. So, like, Bundanyaba, right? Yeah, or Yaba is the hell to get out of. Football, or, or even, like, the keeping up appearances of, uh, of, your, yeah, of your Dick and social, Jane's yeah. uh, middle class. Yeah. Sort of, they are kind of thematically all mirrors of each other aren't they i agree i, I, I would agree. think so for sure yeah. it's funny and there's also a thematic i was thinking about the violence of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of these movies it, uh, there's there's almost constant violence yeah <laughs> uh and football is just and but that's a normal part of playing that sport violence uh violence sort of as entertainment or as like distraction, whether it's pro yeah. football or the Yaba guys. Yeah, and the Yaba guys taking out their violent mm-hmm. tendencies on these four fucking kangaroos. Right, for God's exactly sakes. right. Uh, and and, and each on other. each other, exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It feels a lot yeah. like the football scenes when those two guys are beating at each other. Yeah, right? and you got uh, uh, Bo Svensson, who uh, is an offensive lineman. It's just, so basically, he's a big idiot. Where's my luck? Chop your legs. Um, like a, Nick like Nolte a, like makes a fun cliche, of him because like kind of stereotype redneck type guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's right from Texas, and the, and then there's uh, then there's the big black guys on the defense team. <laughs> they're very antagonistic toward each other, but yeah, when it's time to play game time, they're whacking each other on the pads. Let's go, Joe Bob. Right? Let's yeah, go. yeah. They the get it, the mateship, that, the thin line between aggression and like camaraderie that we talked about. Yeah, there's a very thinly veiled yeah. uh, racist nonsense going on. But you know, that's that's the game you have to put up with when you're on a football team. You have to put up with. It's like yeah, no, it's exactly almost like right. any job. Or like you're working surrounded. in an office, you know, with a bunch of fucking morons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you still got to work yeah. with them. You yeah. still got to work with them. You yeah. got to show up every day. Hey, say hi to them. What's going on, Sam? Uh, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Uh, good to see. You. How about mm-hmm. that game? Yeah. All right. Uh, oh man. Sure. Um, yeah, I d- I just do love this movie because uh, um, the the. Social commentary of it all, I think the end of the movie really has a just says a great thing about how Nick Nolte's character is able to kind of finally get out of it and when he's finally able to get out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great final freeze frame I shot. I mean, they kind of force him out of it, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to give up, you know. He's like, uh, uh, you know, he, he just never, he's got a, he's got a land that he owns. And there's a trailer on it, and the yard, the shape of the house is kind of marked on the ground. <laughs> and his girlfriend, Dale Haddon, says, uh, well, how long have you had this? Oh, like three years. <laughs> He's done nothing to yeah, it. Doesn't, the front door's going to be here. It doesn't seem to bother him, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All the little devils are proud of hell. Yeah, yeah. That's what Donald Pleasant said. Yeah, yeah, exactly mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's his little backup plan, but he has no real plans, and he's not really... He's not committed, but he's forced out, and it's really, really good. John Matuzak, his speech at the end, and Charles Durning. You don't listen. We would have won if we we studied those tendencies. Oh, shit! You never give us anything to bring in the game except your fucking facts and tendencies. To you, it's just a business. 
But to us, it's still got to be a sport. You're supposed to be a professional. You go out there and oh, play football. Shit, we'll work harder than anybody to win. But man, when we're dead tired in the fourth quarter, winning's got to mean more than just money. You're hired to do a job. Job! Job! I don't want no fucking job. I want to play football, you asshole. I want some feeling. I want some fucking team spirit. This ain't no high school. You don't have to love each other to play. It's just what I mean, you bastard. Every time I call a game, you call a business. And every time I call a business, you call a game. You and B.A. Oh, and all the rest girl. of you coaches are chicken shit cocksuckers. No feeling for the game at all, man. You'll win, but it'll just be numbers on a scoreboard. Numbers, that's all you care about. Fuck, man, that's not enough for me. I don't have to listen oh, to speed Oh, yes, you freak. fucking do. you got to listen to me for hey. once. Hey. Yeah. All you coaches are chicken shit cocksuckers. You're all chicken shit cocksuckers. God damn you. Far out. And when Mac Davis's character, his buddy, when they're once Nick Nolte has been forced out and he's back down there at the end of the building and talks to him and they suspend you. <laughs> I quit. I can't take it. They want too much. Too much ain't enough. Not for them. Very end, the last freeze frame when he throws in the ball and Nick Nolte doesn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah drops he, his hand. And he's like, nah, I'm yeah, not gonna yeah, do yeah. it anymore. It's yep. a it's a movie that uh, feels very, you know, people talk about the great resignation of this moment in history that we're going through right now, right, which, right. you know, I think this is a great movie for the great resignation. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a great point. movie. I'm just, I'm not gonna do it anymore. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. But, cool. uh, yeah, that's, I loved it. Great movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and Ted, it, as you said, Ted brings it. Ted brings it. Guy's yeah, a man. great, guy does a very good job for not being like, a super well-known filmmaker of having such a diverse filmography, he really does got some coherent themes and just a lot of great movies under yeah, his belt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What correct. do we got next? Well, let's take a break, and cool. we'll come back with uh, Split Image. Split Image from 1982. Yeah, another killer. Mm. Yeah, fourth on the list today, we're going to talk about Split Image, which is the, uh, one of two movies released by Ted Kotcheff in the same month. Uh, yeah. Yeah, or what was it, August, October of 1982. He had this movie, he also had uh, First Blood, which yeah. is a much bigger First hit, Blood. certainly. Kind of maybe overshadowed this one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Split Image, apparently he said it was some business reason why it got, why it got held up. Hmm. It was shot first. But, okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, they did come out around the same time. Which, uh, this is, a, that's a good movie, but it's just interesting that they had the two movies out in the same month. This movie, I liked a lot. I'd never uh, seen it before. Me but neither. But I liked it a lot. I did like it a lot. So, yeah, stars Danny uh, Danny Noonan himself, Michael <laughs> O'Keefe. I almost called him Danny O'Keefe. <laughs> because, you know, he plays Danny in this movie, too. He plays Danny Stetson in yeah, this movie. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's the same kind of goofy, uh, you know, uh, funny... Yeah, kid is like just a cool guy. Shot it right after Caddyshack, so it's virtually the same Looks age, fun. the same, almost same persona. But this movie is very intense. It gets really uh, intense. It gets it really intense. Starts out more or less where uh, 
he meets a uh, he's a gymnast like a, a high school gymnast but he's mm-hmm. really good and i guess he's like trying to go to a college for it but in the beginning he meets a girl karen allen from uh mm-hmm. of the lost art yeah, animal house hello hi you having a good day who knows i know you know that's fantastic don't you want to know what kind of day it is Sure, I'd love it. It's a great day. God, you're you're really beautiful. I knew I was right about you. Right about what? I don't know. Have you ever had the feeling of being connected to someone in a way that goes beyond understanding? My name is Danny, Danny Stetson. I think I'm in love with you. Are you interested? I was thinking, like, around that time, you had Karen Allen and Brooke Adams and Margot Kidder, and it's just, like, they're all three, like, kind of, like, different and great, but also, like, kind of similar. Yeah, yeah and like, they're and getting they're, a lot of roles, Yeah, too. getting a lot of roles. Like, I love all three of them, and it's just a type that uh, was a, getting a lot of roles at that time. Like, yeah, A lot of yeah. good movies, like, the, yeah. uh, uh, Brooke Adams was in The Dead Zone, I think, this same year, which mm. is great. And obviously, yeah. yeah, the Superman movies for Margot. But that's just something I, I wanted to talk, just say about Karen Allen. And, and Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. there you go. That's well, she's, she's real good. She's in a, she's in a church, ostensibly a church group that's <laughs> having a, that's kind of having a in-town uh, meeting that looks like a kind of a harmless... I remember my kids used to go to what's what's um what's the place by in Rio Vista? There's a Rio Vista. Oh yeah, there's a church, church there, there, and they used yeah, to they used to they were trying to compete with Calvary Calvary Chapel, which is a with uh, an early mega church there. Yeah, Calvary, yeah. yeah sure. and Calvary had a skateboard park and all this other shit, and they were yeah. really trying to. I remember I've been team. to that also. I've been to that also. Before. Yeah, and it's pretty harmless stuff. Or at least it seems kind of harmless. Well, in the beginning. And when you first get there, right? right. And Danny is just doing it. Basically to hang out with Karen Allen because right, she's right. cool and she's hot and he's just bored, but doesn't really have any conviction going into this of religiosity. No, in fact, he's very much a, a skeptical. Skeptic. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's doing a lot of the Danny Noonan side glances of just like, yeah. like can you believe this? Yeah, yeah I'm not, do I have to stand up for this? What am I, yeah, what am I doing what? this for right now? What's going on? Yeah, Peter Fonda is a cult leader the, and uh, the perfect I, I swear choice. the moment he walked on screen i was like this is so good it's perfect like he gives off this like serene but also intense vibe that's just the the epitome of what i'd imagine a cult leader would be like exactly yeah. god is he yeah he's just perfect who are you i'm danny stetson rebecca's friend i know your name that's the easy part I want you to tell me the hard part. Who are you? I don't know what you mean. I don't know, Neil. Why don't you tell me? You're in charge here. Are you aiming for the Olympics? See, that's what we're doing here. We're becoming Olympic champions with our lives. So that every time out, we're a 10. Enjoy yourself. 
he has this kind of pseudo selflessness nonsense going on. Mm-hmm. Two times in the movie, um, there's sort of a henchman, a main henchman. He's like the assistant coach in North Dallas 40, yeah. the Charles Durning character. He's a he seems to be a little older than a teenager. Gabriel, right? Gabriel is very brusque yeah. and very dictatorial about uh, make it perfect, make it perfect, make it perfect, make it perfect. Very creepy, very fast. Um, Peter Fonda said he Gabriel kind of overstepped. This new kid kind of had a meltdown, and uh, so Peter Fonda throws Gabriel under the bus. Right. But he also says Gabriel is perhaps one of the holiest amongst you. But sometimes even he is caught in the grip of death and life. You're scared, aren't you? You're scared of slipping back. Yes, Neil. Please, save me. Dear God, I love this boy. I would die for him. I want you to rescue him from his worldly mind. Rescue him and sweep him into your ever-loving arms and rescue him. 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 He tells Michael O'Keefe later, he says, I'd rather me die than you, which is real fake Jesus kind it's, of nonsense. You know, he's, it, by kicking out Gabriel and sort of like treating him ultimately unfairly, he's he's using that as an opportunity to build a relationship with everyone else. Yeah, Just sort exactly. of like a, a manipulative tactic. So, I don't know. Uh, Gabriel was an asshole. He's not a cool guy, but I feel like him being thrown under the bus had nothing to do with what he was doing. It was just another right. way to bring Peter Fonda closer to the new recruits yeah, like yeah. Danny. Yeah. It was all psychological mis- manipulation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and this movie again is, is um, we were talking earlier about the violence. Um, what's the Michael Balin? Uh, Come and see the violence inherent in the system. The leadership. It's funny. There's a lot of parallels between this and football. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the same football movie. This is this, this sort of a theme of, there's an inherent violence in the system, and there's an inher- and it comes from the top down, and it's just bullshit rules. And it's sort of always couched in a language of selfishness. Ever since we started Homeland, I've heard, thank you, Neil, for giving me a place to live. Thank you, Neil, for understanding it's hard to be young in this country. And as I was walking through our fields on my way over here to eat our food, I said, what is wrong with me? It is I who should give thanks to you for making this a home, my home, our home. So from now on, I thank you. And a language of you're not giving enough to the system and you're the problem. Right, right. Yeah, it's, you it's, just don't love enough. Right. Or like, yeah. yeah, you're not giving enough to the team, Nick Nolte or whatever. Yeah, right, it's right. The same. It's the same shit. Sometimes you know nothing. Sometimes you can be so cruel and evil. This is our home. This is not some place where we exploit the sacred human resource, not some godless communist state. That's some mindless multinational conglomerate. This is our home. Sort of uh, 
toxic positivity is what I call it. Yeah, it also reminds perfect. me of sort of the culture of Santa Rosa and Smile. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just kind of this indifferent, like, smiley machine that's <laughs> all about keeping going and keeping up appearances like Dick yeah, and James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all related. Well, you don't want to face reality. It's right. too, as Hunter Thompson would say, reality is too grim. You right, know? yeah, it's... Oh, let's just keep up the positivity. Mm-hmm. Or uh, let's, let's just get really hammered and beat each other up. Uh, or and, both. <laughs> yeah, see, it's like they're just different kind of, uh, um, you know, mechanisms to the same end. Exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. This movie really, um, this really is, you know, it has uh, Brian Denny, he plays the rich self-made dad. Yes, it's me and I'm in love again. Had no love and things you know when You know I love you Yes I do And I'm saving all my love Enjoy for you and uh, Great Elizabeth Ashley was yeah. really good as the mom. Yeah, she they were was both just really a, good. She was. She reminds me of like the school, the typical kind of school mom who doesn't have a job, and so she's just overly concerned with all this minutia of day to day life, and she, and she just wants the best for her son, and he's really struggling in the beginning of the movie. Nice opening of the movie too, uh, where he's just constantly failing at this one. At the gym, gym at, move. Yeah, at yeah. the gym move. He just, he's a gymnastics guy. Crashing, crashing, crashing. It really kind of sets you up for, uh, you know, you're not supposed to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, I saw the a, whole family unit, that system is a failure. Right. I and s- which is how he ends up in the cult. I the saw on a truck the other day, just, I don't know anything about it, but just driving around, I saw on a van the motto just painted on the top of a van, and it said, success is your duty, which... It's horrifying. Well, that right? is yeah, it's really horrible. creepy. But that doesn't that remind you of the sort of what Danny is under right now? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Make it perfect. Make it perfect. Make it perfect. Make it perfect. Yeah. Uh, even the even I get a, I get a hint family. of the hint of the Breakfast Club with uh, oh sure with Emilio Estevez. His dad is a super yeah. super jock dad who's like you know Andrew, you've got to be number one. I won't tolerate any losers in this family. Your intensity is for shit. Win! 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 You son of a bitch. Denny is not that kind of... um... He's not that kind of a jock dad. But At least not can... intentionally. He's right. a really well... He's a thoughtful guy. He's a guy who really seems to have, like, a, a love for his son in an honest way, but he's still, like, the... You know, reinforcer of the status quo, and exactly. that's how Danny yeah. sees him. Right, right. He's made it, and so should you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you're my son. And he he goes to this cult to escape that mindset, and what does he find? Make it perfect. Make it perfect. Make <laughs> it perfect. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. What's he the jumps from the fat to the, the fire, yeah. all for a girl, basically. Yep. It's really just for a girl. Which you later learn was a tactic. They they you know were doing that specifically for him, drawing yeah, him yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, Charles Manson used his girls for the same. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Definitely Manson vibes here, and also Jonestown like vibes. I think in that. Uh, oh, very since, much. So, you know, yeah. and sort of like the fake hippiness, and like we're gonna we're acting real liberal and and sort of even socialistic, but it's all just to serve the end of this one wacko. Exactly. Yeah. Whose whose guilt trip is? Don't you want to? Don't you want to live in a perfect yeah. world? All right. Don't you? Don't we're you want to get rid a... of uh, death in life? Right. They're living in death. Don't you want to live? Yeah. Going back to your death in life. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's this horrible ritual where Danny uh, finally gives in and she cuts his 
Karen Allen cuts his hair with scissors, and it's just really and everybody's dumbest chanting. haircut in movies. Oh, yeah, horrible. it looks real bad. It might be a wig. I would hope so. It looks God. really, really bad. His yeah. his hair in the second half of this movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's really frightening, <laughs> and he really buys into it. And the funny thing is, uh, I love the scene where they're out handing out leaflets or yeah. buttons and shit like that, just like Flowers, the I think. like the yeah. Moonies or the yeah. Hare Krishnas or any of that kind of crap. And um, she's having she's has thoughts about. Him, he had a wet dream, yeah. you know, in this big dorm room yeah. where they're all sleeping on mats on the floor, and it's really a struggle. And she says, "I hardly ever have my period anymore. None, none of the girls do." Super weird. Isn't what did he that also weird? say? He said he didn't grow hair on his face anymore. Yeah, it's just a, like reverse puberty. Yeah, it was almost like the testosterone and the estrogen and everything was just fucked up from just no contact How, it's all this spiritual That's nonsense so i guess wondering. it must be yeah i'd have to look that up but i know i watched this with my dad and we were both saying like i thought is that, was, that real yeah, yeah i thought that was really creepy it was a nice touch they're also able in that scene after talking about that like actually connect on a human level about like the things they want to do and like sort of their desire for each other to have a physical relationship and yeah they're yeah. not able to in this weird cult was yeah. that the same scene or is that a different scene that's the end of that scene. scene yeah yeah, yeah same okay. scene and that that's that's really where i think that the that's really where i think the movie turns exactly right um of course now james woods is early in the movie james woods is second, like got yeah. a senator's son is in this um in the, that in what, the same group that they're in, yeah the little church group that looks very innocent and innocuous and um and and woods is like a bounty hunter who has a real thing against peter fonda's mm -hmm. cult character I mean, so, it's not totally explained what happened to really him but he at just all. Yeah. yeah he just seems to be he just has it out and he's making a career out of rescuing these kids from this cult and he's a real cigarette smoking he's, f bomb he's james dropping. woods yeah he's, he's james a real woods. james woods but he's yeah. even like even yeah he's just really he really likes to get into just a one dimensional aspect of yeah. just uh of just a brutal bounty hunter angry thing. angry angry he says uh, he said you know i'm not gonna we're not just gonna go rescue him and he said you can't say anything about it because it's kidnapping right uh but i'm gonna bring him um wherever that ranch is they brought they bring they Grab Danny right after the scene where she, they're talking about how much they really after Brian Dennehy got arrested trying to find him. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, 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 that's right. Just after he got they were, arrested on the property, mm -hmm, yeah. trying to find Danny and was un, actually did find Danny. And Danny was like, "I don't want any. I, goodbye." What seems to be the problem, Mr. Kirklander? Hey, wait a minute. Look, they got my son in here. He's trapped in this place. This man is trespassing, threatening my life, and terrorizing my staff. Officer, my name is Kevin Stetson, and I want you to put that goddamn maniac there under arrest. Come on, let's move it, buddy. What are you talking? Hey, come, come on. Come here, Kevin. God damn it! Hey, Kevin! Kevin! God damn it! Stop it! Stop it! Yeah, and then talk about a corrupt system. There's two cops that are like right, yeah, right at the door, right on. Oh yeah, you're right. The actual police show up. Yeah, yeah. They, they're like. They're kissing Peter Fonda's ass. Because he's probably got a bunch of money and he donates the to the landowner. police aesthetic lead or yeah, whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah, all that same nonsense. It's just that hints of, uh, of that smacks of that kind of crap mm -hmm. that makes America great. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. What is it that uh, Bill McKay said? Basic human indifference is what made this country great. That's <laughs> from The Candidate on last yeah, week's yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, um, it's true. It's got a. It's got a sort of a Michael Ritchie 
this back of the movie too, the back half, once James Woods kidnaps Danny and goes through the deprogramming process. Which yeah, he says, I'm going to hang this kid's head, head out, to dry. out to dry. And it's actually like, as sort of creepy and manipulative and, and self-serving all of Peter Fonda's bullshit was, this is like actively hateful stuff. Like this is really hard to watch. Some of the stuff that yeah. James Woods puts this kid through. He straps a fisheye lens yeah. on it, so you're from you're from seeing his point it of from view. Danny's it's, point of view. It's, it's pretty really harrowing. Yeah, yeah. Co- couple of really harsh minutes there. Is that one of your sisters? Huh? What was her name? Uh, Rebecca. Did you get to hug her like that back at the farm? Shut up. Did Neil let you express yourself physically back at the farm? You are a pervert. You live for greed. You live for sensual pleasure. I live in a trailer park, and I ain't been late in a month. At Homeland, we've gone beyond all that personal gratification. Bullshit. You got shut down. You're a normal kid. You're a little bit of a stiff. But you wanted her. And just maybe, she wanted you too. But Neil wouldn't allow that. Neil has to have total control. He calls it spiritual love, but what it boils down to is that you have to love Neil and hate everybody else. Listen to this. Well, that's good, because I don't really feel like talking to you tonight anyway. My head, my head, my head, my head. But it hurts? Yeah, it hurts. Good. You start to come to the conclusion over the course of this movie is like, especially through these scenes with Woods, where it's, well, is it any better or worse to be in, you know, this sort of like status quo society in the same way that, you know, Donald Pleasant speaks to Gary Bond about Bundanyava and saying like, are you really any better than this? Right. Exactly. And it's sort of, yeah. It's really very interesting. similar. Yeah. Very similar situation where that. Because once he is sort of mostly effectively deprogrammed, you learn about his brother who is just a. Uh, Little kid who doesn't say a lot during the movie. Right. Right. But during the 10, 11, 12 in that range. Yeah, little kid. Yeah. And he doesn't say a lot during the movie, but at one scene during the the deprogramming process, James Woods is out there talking to the parents and uh, sort of asks the kid, well, what do you think? And it's sort of, to me, this is when you saw what the alternative life is for Danny, right? If instead of having gone off to join this cult, just stayed bought in and, and, you know, this is what would have been like. What I suggest you do is to give him something to live for. Something to believe in. You. Younger brother. Do you believe in something? What? I want to have a lot of money. I want to learn how to hunt and fish so that if food runs out, I'll know how to get mine. That's it? You don't, you don't believe that America is your home and that uh, God loves you and your parents too? I want to have a big apartment on top of a big building so I won't have to breathe air pollution. I want to have a place where I can go so nobody else can find me, so, so nobody can ask me stuff or take stuff away. I want to survive, and everybody better let me alone. A real a problem, a problem with authority. And, you know, uh, cults are great because you're swapping one authority for another. Right. And, and uh, you're, you're either in, you either say, now I'm in my element, which is what Danny did. He embraced it and said, you know, now this is where I belong. And they give me a different name. Mm-hmm. They give all these kids different names. I love the scene where 
Peter Fonda's really talking him up about how much he really loves him. It's really important. He's he wants him to go to favorite, Colorado. Yeah. Wants him to go to Colorado and run some chapter out there. And it, and it dawns on him that it's like, uh, like, am I an employee or something? Yeah, I like, mean, it was a weird feeling what all was, of a sudden. What, what has all this been for? And you yeah, start to you're, clue it in that uh, maybe this is for Fonda's character. Uh, as, as, Neil. Of course his name is Neil. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the, you know, the current the current term, grooming, is sort of... Certainly, uh, yeah. yeah. Or even like weird. gaslighting is a gaslighting. term of the moment that really right. felt appropriate for What that I love is while this conversation is going on, they're outside and there's a sort of a man-made pond surrounded by pyramids yeah i love those the pyramids. weird pyramids yeah, yeah, yeah. i thought this, okay this is this is this is goofy horseshit that you go okay go out of the pyramid store and get me sick because they didn't look like anybody you know at the at the because at the farm they're all self-sufficient mm-hmm. and they're growing their own shit and they're yeah building and he their had shit. like sort but of a yuppie pyramids, house yeah, kind of thing like like a, it looks like a house you'd see even somewhere in like south florida or miami or something those pyramids are really strange i worked in haiti one time for italian television and we got to meet max who was a a, a um a shaman uh, not a shaman but whatever in haiti the witch doctor kind okay, of a sure, thing and yeah, he uh, was harvard graduated and oh, yeah. uh, his family was from haiti and he moved back and he became like an elder cool guy and he had this hut in the back and but the inside of the house i mean he had aol uh, he had internet, he had phones yeah. that worked, you know, he, he had a nice place and that reminded me of that. Yeah. Not a cult leader, but it's like, you know, there, it but comes like, with benefits. Right. And like kind of, yeah, exactly right. It's like, you're the leader of this, you know, area, uh, sort of the outsider and you're getting all these things that the normal, the normals are not. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Right. Yeah. Peter Fonda, super creepy. Come- and again, uh, the, or, or again, the violence, you know, the, uh, James Woods, extraordinarily violent uh, character. Really, like, hard to watch stuff sometimes. Like, when he beats up Brian Dennehy in front of the kid. Yeah, that's what finally, got, that's what finally gets to Danny. Is, uh, so it was effective, but also really horrifying. It was really horrifying. Yeah. You're right. He spends his life kissing the asses of rich clients. You're right. He lives for greed. He is death in life itself. So fuck him. Fuck your father. He's dirt. He is a crummy piece of human shit for you to step on. Come on. I am saving you from the man who paid to have you tortured. Now step on him. Step on him. Come on. He's shit. Kill him. Kill your father. I spit on the cocksucker. Kill him. Kill your father. Kill him. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, but that's violence for good. You know? Or for or for you know what the system considers good. Right? Yeah, What's yeah. for alleged well, good? Well, it's just trying to achieve a result. Mm-hmm. And if you get the result, then that's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and what's the result? Danny's back in. He's going to turn into his brother. That's the result they all want. That's what they all want. Brian, exactly. Pull them all back in. And then J- when Danny is finally deprogrammed and woken up and kind of like, I'm no longer, what, they called him Joshua? And they said, right, right. No longer Joshua, I'm Danny again. What does he wake up to but fucking goddamn James Woods, who always, by the way, I want to say this about James Woods. Have you seen a movie he's in where he doesn't say homophobic stuff? Does he add the homophobia to the script? Or? It wouldn't surprise me one it's bit. It's really odd. He like will make sure to drop a like you know some kind of homophobic slurs, or, like call somebody a cocksucker, like 
every single movie. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's, weird he's, stuff. Weird stuff. But I was talking... We, of, have, the, we have hindsight. Yeah. Odd stuff. Television? Well, no. no, there would be some money, of course. But more importantly, they feel it would help other families less lucky than you were. And it might. Saying. It might. Listen, Kevin. It really might. And so let's put me on television. Let's have me tell America that all the feelings that got me into Homeland were sick and perverted and wrong. Hi, Danny. To say that they lied to you, that's all. It didn't go up there because I believed them in the first place. I went up there because I wanted... I just wanted to believe. Honey, you don't deny you were wrong, do well, you? Like, come on, Danny. We I got captured up there because I, I cared about someone. Because there was a moment up there when I just, I just cared about everyone. I, I wanted to love people. I wanted to love people. Yeah, that's stupid. That's, that's stupid. That's crazy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, well, I can't say those feelings are wrong. I can't and I won't. There are a hundred reasons why I got caught up there. What, I'm crazy. They're bad, huh? It's not that simple. But what I was saying, what's the first thing Danny wakes up to is fucking James Woods talking to his parents, talk show on TV, talking about how to monetize this experience, turn it into a book, turn it into a television show, whatever. And Danny's like, fuck this. And then he goes back to his room. And what happens? One of the cult members, not Karen Allen, but just another girl that was there. The other girl, yeah. And a bunch of others as well come down trying to free him. And he's like, no, fuck this. Like, he realizes, like, the, the sort of, like, equivalence of both systems and the equivalence of how useless they are yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Then, then what's I've, got, I've got two people trying to save me yeah. from myself and i don't, I don't need, need saving yeah. anymore and at yeah. the end he meets up with karen allen again and they have one last that's what he wants he yeah, wants that's his, all exactly that's all he wants and look because that's the only person he had a real connection with earlier right. in the movie the scene we talked about exactly and, right uh, yeah that's uh pretty much the end of the movie yeah, that's, and the funny know, thing is he he he, he is saved right? from yeah. the cult, and then he saves her. Yeah, that's right. He's, and the funny thing, I, I wrote down, I said, you know, the, the, um, the James Wood, after he says, hanging his brain out to dry, uh, I said, you can tell something bad is about to happen. Yeah. And then I go, but no, it's a happy ending. It was a happy ending. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. I, I had this dreadful feeling that. Woods was going to fuck it up. Oh, and they yeah. finally get him out of the house. He said, you know what? You, Goodbye, well, I think yeah. we're done. You know, you did your job and I paid you. So That's right. Yeah. And he's like hanging out, smoking cigarettes and drinking Great. beer and yeah, shooting I know. pool. Just trying to make money off of it. Come it, up with schemes. Yeah, yeah. And I live in a trailer really park. I haven't been laid in a yeah. month. Right, yeah. 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 yeah it's a real piece so of shit. Yeah, that's right. Which, uh... <laughs> but James Woods, you know. He is, yeah, like... That's the thing. At the end of the movie, they have one last confrontation with Fonda, Karen Allen, and, and your boy, Danny. Uh, and then, basically, they, they run off, and it's another freeze-frame ending. Great several yep. series of freeze-frame endings. And actually, that Peter Fonda reacts, reacts violently in that. He does. That's the, that's the thing that everybody goes. Ultimately, we're out of here. We're hey, done. that ain't love, yeah. is it? The, is this love? Mm -hmm. you, you slapping the what's shit this out of all, me? And again, what's this all been for, really? Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So that is control. a very good, very good movie. Yeah, um, really about true, psychological control. Yeah, yeah, very underrated movie. And, and I think a lot of people should watch it. It's a high recommend. Oh, yeah, High absolutely. recommend. Uh, okay, let's. you want to take another break? Oh, by the way, uh, the yeah, name sure. of the cult was called Homeland. Oh. And I thought, what a great name good for stuff. a cult. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take one more break, and then we'll come back with number five. All right, you. Switching channels. 
All right, we're back with our number five film from Ted Koch of Switching Channels. 1988 movie, Kathleen Turner, Burt Reynolds, Christopher Reeve. This is Christy Colleran for Satellite News Network here in downtown Chicago. Covering stories the world over, 24 hours a day. Uh, it's a remake of the of the an adaptation rather of the play The Front Page, which right. has previously been made into a movie several times. Before, several times, yeah, right? yeah, 30s and uh, 70s with the Jack Walter Clement, Matthew, and Walter right? Matthew. Is that a Billy Wilder it was movie? It was a Billy Wilder okay. movie. Yeah, that's a good version. And too. then also His Girl Friday is the same plot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. same basic plot. Okay. Cary Grant yeah. and Catherine Hepburn. Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell, yeah. that's right. Uh, yeah, the the uh, we were saying that this movie is 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 really a vehicle for Kathleen Turner, who's yeah. who's good. It, you know, it, uh, what's the line in um, in my favorite year? Peter O'Toole he plays a a, a kind of a um, an Errol Flynn type um, character who says he quotes Ed, Edmund, uh, great British actor from the stage from the early centuries. Uh, Tragedy is easy, comedy is hard. Mm-hmm. And she does a good job. Very funny um, with like just rapid dialogue. Like the, yeah, that yeah. sort of like screwball m- movie, like His Girl Friday, would like she really does a good job doing that. Like, yeah. And her and Burt Reynolds and Christopher Reeve all bounce off each other really well. Yeah, it really works. Yeah. Burt uh, doesn't take over the movie, and, and uh, he, but he's really good as the, uh, he's a satellite network owner. It's clearly like a dig at Ted Turner. Yeah, yeah. They um, even, yeah the, even like having a mustache, it kind of looks like Ted yeah, Turner. Yeah, I think it's really funny. And, and it's just chaotic. It's about getting ratings or on 24-7. The whole beginning of the movie, the opening of the movie is really nice because she's just doing all of these stories and just having just all these horrible things happen to him and it's just like anything is news. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a shot in that very beginning opening where it's her and another newscaster like at the desk and she's asleep and this guy's just singing it up. He's taking big drags <laughs> yeah. and then like they, they say start counting the air, down. Yeah. and shh, please He's waving a smoke as wake wakes her up. up and she goes, this is 4 a.m. on SNN. <laughs> SNN too and even as a CNN type logo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Satellite News Network. Yep. The running gag where they have to go out and, and kick one of the satellite dishes because it's <laughs> off registration. That is funny, which yeah. clearly not the way you do it, but it is funny as hell. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, she she starts laughing at the president plays the kazoo in the middle of the... <laughs> I mean, this is Ronald Reagan just plays the kazoo, I guess. 15,000 students from all 50 states will be joined electronically to play Darktown Strutter's Ball on the kazoo... For the president of the United States, the president, as you know, is a former kazoo player and may wish to join in. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute here. We're doing a story about 15,000 kazoo players and the president of the United States. <laughs> I think my ex-wife is cracking up. And the owner apparently calls Burt Reynolds in the, in the, you know, in his office is like, she didn't need a vacation. And he goes, okay, she needs a vacation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right after that, that was the thing. And then when she's on vacation is where she meets Christopher Reeve. Yeah. Uh, who plays this rich guy who, like, is an heir to, I guess, a sporting goods fortune yeah, or something yeah. like He's that. Yeah, yeah, he's running the whole sporting goods, yeah. the biggest and sporting goods company. Do you remember how they met? 
Yeah, she uh, loses her canoe paddle. <laughs> well, before that, when oh, she yeah. burned his American <laughs> Express card, which, you know, that's a thing that happens, right? That's the way people meet. <laughs> Accidentally burn someone's credit card. They give, they give everybody, yeah, they give every people who checks in a, a, a candle for some reason, and she sets it down and sets fire to his yeah. his credit card. Yeah, that's really funny. Really funny, yeah. Yeah, and he's a perfect kind of plastic uh, yuppie... Uh, sweater wearing, always worrying about his hair. Yeah. Um, there's even a joke in later with Burt Reynolds ribs him mercilessly about everything. Right, what Kathleen Turner <laughs> will call him darling, and Burt will always respond. Like they respond at the same time. You really want me to do it, darling? Yes. yes. I gotta stop doing that. Me, Sully. He does. Because like, they yes. were married previously yeah. and they work together, but they are now divorced. And uh, yeah, and Burt's really jealous. And yeah, they're going, uh, they got engaged and, and now they're back at this thing. Basically, she's going to quit the news station, or she says she is, in favor of going to New York and working on a talk show uh, while and marrying Christopher Reeve. But Bert does not want that to happen because she's a great reporter and also, like, he needs her. And there's a huge story about, uh, about a, a guy who killed a drug dealer who turned out to be an undercover cop. Um, but his son was a drug addict, played by um, the Henry Gibson. The killer played by Henry, Henry Gibson. Gibson. Henry Gibson. Great. And great it's Henry really Gibson. wild because you don't know, you don't know it's him as, as she she gets um, she gets into interview him um, because she you know she knows everybody and everything about even about the warden and nobody. Uh, Ned Beatty is the guy running for governor. Who uh, my note here about Ned Beatty is. Ned Beatty constantly eating and constantly <laughs> holding back from cursing. And oh my God, when he calls her, when he calls Kathleen Turner that female reporter, just like so badly wants to like use other words. Like, really, I mean, it's very yeah. funny. One of our all-time favorites here, I think yeah. Ned Beatty. He's, Ned. he's great. Oh God, he's so great. In yeah, this too. he's over the top. I think like any movie, like it's almost a rule that on any episode we do. I don't know if we did it on the first episode, but I feel like going forward, there's going to be either a a Dennehy, a Ned Beatty, or a Charles Durning at hey, least yeah, in every yeah. single one of these. It uh, seems like it. Yeah, it seems yeah. Like like it it's just they were just they were grabbing all the all the supporting kind of like gruff but also really funny guys now the real governor um is, charles kimbrough yeah 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 so funny. plastic yeah he's Com perfect completely useless just a guy worried only about his polls and stuff like that yeah uh, yeah there's a moment where he's in the governor's mansion and it's like it shows his <laughs> This cracked me up so hard <laughs> when his like butler comes up to him and he's watching just the news on TV while like Pat like just uh, paddling on a rowing machine or whatever or like an electric bicycle yeah. and the the butler just says to him, "You're gay for eight, governor." <laughs> And I don't know why, but that was some killer <laughs> shit. That was so funny. And uh, that made the whole movie for me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that cast. Uh, that sort of like kind the, of. The, I, well, you know, like I love an empty shirt politician in a movie. We talked about that last week. And yeah, exactly. How totally nothing everything they say is. We've been discussing this thing for months. I think I'll pardon it. Well, maybe it depends on so many factors. The governor, Wayne, keep track of the telephone calls coming in. Here are the numbers. Uh huh. We have 367 to pardon and one two to kill. No, I'm sure of it. Right? Very shrewd.
What I loved the, the 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 people around the people around Ned Beatty's camp, the campaign workers, and the people around the governor, his advisors. Uh, Bullworth was great for that, mm-hmm. showing showing the what goes on advising and the candidate, the politician, too, and the candidate yeah, sure. too. Exactly, um, that um, these guys. Or, or uh, you know, and the thing of it is, they're using Henry Gibson. They want to be tough on crime, they right? Tough on and they're crime. using him as basically a political football. Exactly right. And yeah. um, and that's why Turner wants the interview so, or why Bert wants the interview so yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. He sends yeah. Kathleen to go get it. Yeah. He stra- what does he buy? He buys every seat on every plane flight. So she can't leave. So town. she can't leave yeah. town. I want you to book every seat on every airline. Go to New York in the next twenty-four hours. Sully, that'll take all day. First you put the White Sox, then you book the Cubs, then you book every employee at ABC News. I'll be at the restaurant. You know how to get me. Well, then you got to put me on the election. Oh, this assignment is so special. It makes the election look like the opening of Al Capone's vault. I need a man with a strong journalistic background. Sigenthaler, I need you. <laughs> Sully, I majored in phys ed. Perfect. You won't run out of breath. Chicago, by the way, they make a lot of Chicago references in this movie. I think a lot of it was not shot in Chicago. <laughs> I noticed at the end that some of it was shot in Miami. It yeah, doesn't say uh, where. Uh, I don't know yet. And definitely Canada, too. Ted yeah. Pankotra, Canadian guy. shoots right. a lot of his movies in Canada, I'd yeah. imagine. The Miami part I didn't recognize, although it could have been. There was a uh, beach at the end. That could have been. There it. was a volcano, but I'm sure that was a uh, that was a, volcano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Albert Whitlock mat, 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 matted that one in, but then it did explode too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 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 I'm I'm not sure. That's but a good yeah, one. Yeah. I think they shot it in a couple different places in Canada, and then some maybe exteriors in Chicago. But there are a lot of things where the production design is almost working overtime on the Chicago that it's like, there's no way this is real. <laughs> like you got like bullshit and like in every single shot where it's like cluttered and kind of stupid looking. And it's it like, it, it, sometimes you'll notice a movie that, you know, I doubt it was actually shot in that place. If it's all buildings and all the walls are just cluttered with stuff. <laughs> What's hilarious is that the original stage play was of course about the newspaper business. Yeah. And so this is about satellite uh, news, but yet the, the key scenes at the end are shot in a in a newspaper yeah, office. Isn't that funny? That's yeah. really other than a, a copy machine. It's all old typewriters and yeah, bullshit. That's true. It's really goofy. Um, Henry Gibson is. Uh, you know what happens is he escapes. Um, they were going to televise his electrocution uh, live, and and all these all these newspaper reporters are all plugged into the same outlet. <laughs> so the minute they hit the electric chair, the the breakers crap out and then henry gets an escapes yeah and she hides because he's a disciple of houdini as he yeah before. yeah you know today is it's houdini's birthday it's really really cleverly done and it, and again it's a redone story but um yeah it's it's uh some of those newspaper reporters in that uh room too are also really funny yeah. like there's the one other uh like the lady newspaper reporter there and she's got on her desk, I took a, I just wanted to, I took an inventory of all the production design on her desk. She's got a bottle of Jim Beam, a <laughs> bottle of Jack Daniels, a roll of Rolaids, and a pack of Newports. <laughs> what an awesome desk. Yeah. <laughs> Old school. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. I can tell you that. Well, one of the guys uh, I noticed right away in, in uh, one of Bert's, uh, co-workers, his minions. These he's got all these young guys around him, who uh, he just says, uh, "Go buy up all the plane tickets." You know, <laughs> go do this, go just do that. Just constantly yelling at these guys on the phone. Yeah. So one of the production assistants is Tony Rosato, 
from Second City TV. Uh, he kind of came in uh, at the end of the Canadian run. Hmm. He was a Canadian actor. Which would make sense. The movie, a yeah. lot of this, I think, was shot in Canada. Right. So that was cool to see cool. him. Uh, I saw other people I sort of recognized, but I didn't really like, know. Like, who was the guy who owned the station? That guy who was constantly drinking out of his cane shot glass. I, yeah, I don't know guy? who that guy was. Yeah. I should have looked him up, and I had He's, no freaking idea. He said that he wanted a station that was all smut all the time, didn't he? Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. I'd say you both did it. Who's this? Themistocles Burger. He owns Burger Broadcasting. <laughs> Doesn't look like Hitler. You're fired. That was great journalism. Girl, only thing is, did you have to use that word? She's leaving us, Max. What do you mean? I'm going to marry this man. He can't marry him. He doesn't have a job. What do you mean? I just fired him. It's time to go, dear. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's really a good send up of the of the 24 hour news um, people, and you know, just news in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. The, just... and, and I've been in I've been in freelance news situations where all the correspondents you would know would have known, especially back in the 80s when I was doing it. Um, you see, oh, that's the NBC guy with his, yeah. with his trench coat. And then uh, I was working for a CBS, and there's one particular thing. ABC, I forget who. Oh, I I remember ABC. He, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but <laughs> he's the one who, he had this, I'm up, I'm, I'm up before everyone, and I stay up later than everyone. Well, he didn't get up early enough one morning, missed the satellite link. <laughs> it was really funny. That sounds Because you're, you're, you're in South America, you don't transship tape. Uh, you got a uplink. Just and a, he a totally on the moment. Yeah. Totally okay, blew wow. uplink. Like in broadcast news, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they yeah. do that whole thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. It had to be done just in the moment. Yeah. Cool. And you got to get up. At, that You get your five minutes of uplink time. Sure. And it costs a fucking fortune, and you don't get a redo. You're either. a dipshit for life That's at that right. point. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wow. knew it, too. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, that is crazy. Well, yeah, the news, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun comedy. Um, the music by Lachelle, Michelle Legrand, which I thought was really nice because it, it could have been uh, it could have been handed over to whoever did. We were going to talk about Split Image, how bad the music yeah, was. Yeah, I don't remember, but yeah, oh, that music remember. was not great. No, uh, it could have been turned over to a goofy synthesizer. Right. You know, an uh, off-brand Faltemeyer. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't. So yeah, cool. Um, good uh, movie though. Couple, good. yeah, couple other things about the movie, like. Uh, I wanted to mention, just because they were notes I took, did you feel like it was sometimes kind of tonally uh, uh, so strange and that the Henry Gibson scenes are, like, legitimately really intense and not funny at all? Most of yeah, them, like, yeah, yeah. It really, it really goes to some harrowing places and then will immediately just be slapstick right after. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I'm not... I, I guess I like it. I appreciate it. It's just weird and jarring, you know, and... Would you share some of your thoughts with us, Ike? Well, now I know what it's like to be without hope. All those months, I, I kept thinking, they're not going to kill me. All I wanted was my boy back. But now I know they are going to kill me. Not a comedy yeah, here. Yeah, no, it was oh. like, and it was obviously like, you know, movies frequently will have dramatic moments in an otherwise funny movie, but it got very grim for about 15 <laughs> minutes, and I was like... This is actually a fucking yeah. horror. Yeah, yeah, Henry Gibson, you know, is a, a, a he's a great actor. He is, yeah, known Nash- for comedy a lot, but obviously, yeah, like, not he, here. he cut his teeth on laughing. Yeah, um, Blues and, Brothers, also funny movies. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, and uh, him and Nashville, Ned, or, him and Ned Beatty are both in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's so good in Nashville. He's just a ta- harsh taskmaster. Uh, well, anyway, sort of celebrity. Uh, that, like, that's a really good point. Airhead. Yeah, I, I think that's the sympathy of the trying to get 
the governor to pardon him. Right, yeah. And uh, that's that's what was on uh, uh, the TV, and there was a Ned good little Beatty, montage of... Yeah, Ned Beatty wants him to get electrocuted, so he figures yeah. that'll get him governor. The Th- there's a good little montage, too, of people reacting to that broadcast. Where yeah, just, yeah. Like, these people who are just, like, look pretty, like coded as poor in like the Hollywood way like a lot of kids a lot of noise they're eating junk food and she's on the phone and is like you can tell the governor that if he doesn't pardon him he's going to lose the yappy boy yeah I, I love that yeah, so yeah. there's a guy in his bathtub just like a huge guy in this undersized bathtubs a lot of just just funny visual jokes in that montage and they all call yeah. the yeah. they all call the governor's office it, to like, get yeah, action you gotta and he he plans on pardoning him, and then the, he uh, escapes yeah. there. I don't I don't know the plot hole. It's kind of the 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 warden of the prison is so compromised that Ned Beatty has something on him that it gets him to move the ex- execution it up. It gets it's a really little weird. sweaty at the end. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a little bit like there's a lot of moving parts, and it's almost I think in their adaptation of the front page, and also in their sort of like just kind of a lot of jokes about news. And this like heavy duty execution story with Henry Gibson, there were, I, I love it's a very funny movie. I think there are probably too many cooks in the kitchen a little bit though. In terms yeah. of like it was kind of too many movies at once. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. near the end is when you really felt that. I think it started kind of wait, what is this? Is this a thriller or like a goofy thing? Like yeah, it got goofy, it got thrilling, it got uh, political even. Yeah, it's sort and of like I, uh, I liked each and every one of the elements, but it was almost like there was not enough of any single one of them that the movie to felt make a it little, one way or the other. Little, yeah. The movie felt a little schizophrenic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's just. But uh, if you want a schizophrenic uh, comedy, and Kathleen Turner is very good. Had a lot of funny stuff in, in it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of funny stuff in it, and. Uh, if Bert's not always great, I don't know who yeah, is. Yeah, I want to talk about Bert uh, even just a few minutes because he's, you know, an all-time favorite of mine, and we're going to probably do at least one or two episodes on Bert. One or two hundred. Uh, I'd like to Absolutely. do a movie just on Bert as a director. There's a lot of cool movies there. I'm down for um, that. Yeah, he's, which, uh, yeah, it's Sharky's Machine, another one with Charles Durning, so that would pass the test of the of the Durning Danny Beatty test. There you go. <laughs> yeah, um... Ned Beatty's office in, uh, or not Ned Beatty's office, but when the power goes out and all the people have their lighters. Uh, to, uh, yeah, did yeah. you notice that he had like this enormous Zippo flame and it, like yeah, powered it was like a over everybody? Which reminded me of Jock Crawford in Wake and Fright when he <laughs> off, when he first lit the cigarette, and it was it's. In Wake and Fright, it was like a real symbol of like how aggressive this hospitality is. This big flame in your face. Yeah, yeah. And then in here, it was like a symbol of just how like Ned Beatty's inflated sort of sense of ego and sense of law and order or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Just a funny, like very small visual metaphor that is in two it, different Ted Koch Almost sets a warden's yeah. hair on fire. That's right, yeah. At one point. And did, did you see what his campaign uh, uh, slogan says? I uh, get me. Get even. <laughs> <laughs> He, yeah, he's very vindictive, and he's, he's using all of his political capital and all of the dirt he has on everybody. And I don't know what he, uh, what, what, is, what is his... He's a state's attorney. He's I a think. state's yeah. attorney, And he's yeah, really Chicagoing up his voice, too. He's yeah, really like going yeah. into that, like, the bears almost. <laughs> <laughs> he's so great. Yeah, uh, yeah an all-time favorite. Yeah. Also, uh, was in another movie I mentioned earlier... He got game, which I watched the other day. He played the warden in that movie. Oh, there you go. That's a cool movie. We should. Yeah. We're gonna have to do Spike Lee at some point. Yeah, Spike. Yeah. Spike's uh, definitely. an awesome filmmaker. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Want to hear a crazy tangent? Sure. Uh, Spike Lee and Oliver Stone were classmates in Martin Scorsese's film class. 
I didn't know Isn't that. Isn't that wild? That in the is 70s really at wild. NYU. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that nuts? Diploma and Scorsese were teaching film classes like before they were even famous directors. Somebody's got to teach these people, I yeah, guess, it's right? Really cool. I mean, I guess he had already made some movies, but yeah, he was not. Probably around the same time that fucking Ted Kotcheff heard how much he loved Wake and Pray was when he was teaching this class. <laughs> yeah, there probably, you go. Probably mid 70s, yeah. yeah. Well, and funny, uh, and, and it's funny how both of the Michael Ritchie and Ted Koch, we both talked about how much they cut their teeth on early television. Yeah. And Ted was saying, uh, you know, we were talking about other Canadian directors, Robert Altman, uh, Robert Aldrich, a John lot Frank of... John Frankenheimer's uh, a big yeah. TV guy. A lot of, that's, a, that's a guy we can In do. fact, Ted um, apparently did um, Law and Order for a long time, the TV that, show. Af- that's right. He, after uh, after, after his... he had made movies, I guess he was like one of the main directors for SVU in the early mm-hmm. seasons. Yeah, He's yeah. He's still alive, by the way. Ted, keep kicking it, man. Yeah, Age man, 91. 91. Good, good for, for you, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah. Cool guy. A lot of good interviews with him as well, if you can uh, seek him out online. The Projection Booth podcast has a couple good interviews with him. One mm. about Wake and Fright. Mm-hmm. And another about a, another one of his movies, one of his most famous movies that we have not talked about. Maybe we'll talk about it. Uh, well, we certainly will talk about it in our sort of best of the rest kind of thing we do at the end. Um, what do you think? Do you have anything else about switching channels, or do you want to talk about the rest? No, of Ted's it's movies? A, it's 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 just a good comedy, uh, you know, with uh, with a great cast. Yeah, it That's is. It's a, a fun movie. Great cast. Fun. All right. But yeah. Cool. Let's, let's see real quick before we close out. Let's do a rundown of maybe some of Ted's other movies because the guy was a very prolific filmmaker very. Uh, and made some movies. Very diverse filmmaker made all kinds of movies. Let's run through a couple other ones uh, that we did not talk about. He made a movie called Uncommon Valor with Gene Hackman, which is a war movie I've not seen. He made, uh, uh, well, First Blood is probably his biggest movie that we did not talk about. Yeah, that came out the same month as Split Image, and that's a movie, obviously, there's a lot of discourse on. That's the other interview with um, Ted Kotcheff that the Projection Booth does. Some other movies, yeah, uh, something called Folks with uh, Tom Selleck, and something called Joshua Then and Now, which is another Jimmy Woods. Now, I saw that one of his earliest, earliest films, which I've seen... Oh, yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. ...was... Um, the Apprenticeship uh, of Duddy Kravitz. Kravitz. I've not seen it. Very early Richard Dreyfuss. Very yeah, early. right out. It was what he made immediately following Wake and Fright, too, and it sounds really interesting. Yeah, I was a, just reading it, about it. Yeah, that's when everybody realized that um, Richard Dreyfuss was really good. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Like, before Jaws, or maybe, was it maybe before American Graffiti, even, or at least I, right around the same right time? Right around the same time. Yeah. Right, might be might be right before. And then another, you know, several other movies, too, that I something who is killing the great chefs of Europe, which another, I don't know. That's another, another George, George Siegel. Siegel yeah. George Siegel, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Weekend at Bernie's. Haven't, uh, yeah, that's another just kind of seemingly out of nowhere movie for him, but like Ted made all <laughs> kinds of shit and he tended to make it pretty well. Yeah. he yeah. Br- As you said, Ted can bring it. Ted can bring it. And I don't want to say made, I want to say makes because he's still alive. <laughs> all right. We love you, Ted. Yeah.